0: fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 46 of The Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast, where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I have discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. There's a ton of other video game podcasts out there and it warms my heart that you decided to listen to mine and give me a little bit of your time. Didi, our canine expedition leader, is quite excited today as well. Usually he takes his time to say hello and give your leg the obligatory sniffing, but today he's getting it all over with quickly because our expedition is moving its way towards familiar lands. And while all of us love checking out new locations, sometimes it just feels good to get back to a place you just know and love. Especially when you get to experience something you know and love with a new twist. Dexter, Dee Dee's brother from Another Dog Mother, is already enjoying himself here much more than when he went wandering around Silent Hill in our last episode. It's kind of funny, I came up with a quick way to work Dexter into the intro of our Silent Hill 2 episode and had him walking into the fog of the town, never to be seen again for the rest of the show. But I want everyone to know who was concerned, mainly my wife, that Dexter is alive and well. His little tail is wagging a mile a minute because our Wildlands expedition has returned to the Mushroom Kingdom. On today's episode, we're checking out a video game that is near and dear to a lot of people. It's a game that consists of multiple ingredients, tossed in the oven and baked to perfection. What is in this magnificent concoction, you ask? It has a little bit of platforming, some awesome character moments, an amazing soundtrack, role-playing game mechanics, mini-games, and everyone's favorite mustachioed Italian plumber. I, of course, am talking about Super Mario RPG, Legend of the Seven Stars, for the Super Nintendo. Way back in the early 1990s, Shigeru Miyamoto had dreams of creating a role-playing game starring Super Mario. Developer Square at the time was trying to find a way to develop an RPG that would perform better outside of Japan, and thus, Square and Miyamoto joined forces. To make an RPG worthy of the Mario name, it was decided to bake in more movement and action than your typical square RPG. However, to really make this game an RPG, you had to at least have the basics character stats, abilities, spells, equipment, and a leveling system. All of it was capped off with a fantastic graphical presentation and a masterful soundtrack, which was constructed by legendary composer. Yoko Shimamura. Put it all together and you get Super Mario RPG, a game that lives in the hearts of those who have played it and experienced it. I was lucky enough to have a physical copy of Super Mario RPG when I was younger. While I had a blast with the game, I didn't really understand what an RPG was back then. Battling monsters to level up my characters, finding new equipment, and leveraging the best abilities was sort of lost on me. I was playing a Mario game, and my focus was more on the platforming aspects of the game. Even though I didn't play the game the quote-unquote right way most of the time, I still found a way to beat the game. More than anything, the game took me on an amazing journey, one that I still look back fondly on today. So, imagine my surprise and shock when Nintendo announced that they were remastering-slash-remaking this title. I already have the new Super Mario RPG on pre-order, and I cannot wait to give it a go. But I also knew I needed to revisit the original before that happened. But sadly, I had sold off my physical copy of the game some time ago. It is a good thing that this game is on my Super Nintendo Classic, though. I plugged it into the TV in my home office, and I set off on my adventure. I knew I wanted to cover it on the podcast before the remake slash remaster dropped, so I needed to get cracking. But that's right around the time I got a text message from a friend of mine. Now, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you'll probably already know that the Retro Wildlands is a solo podcast and I don't generally have guests on, with the exception of the two times I had my stepdaughter Cameron on the show to talk a few Simpsons games with me. However, my buddy Nick came rushing up to me out of the blue one day and asked me if he could be a guest on the show if I ever talked about Super Mario RPG. Well, thinking back, he really didn't ask me if he could be a guest. He pretty much told me he was coming on the show, and there was really nothing I could do about it. But when he was looking at me and saying those words, I could see a burning passion for this game in his eyes. I knew I liked this game, but Nick had a special place in his heart for Super Mario RPG, and it was very clear to see. So like Miyamoto and Square coming together to make a world-class gaming experience, my buddy Nick is going to join me on the podcast, and we're going to nerd out about Super Mario RPG. We had an absolute blast coming together to talk about this game, and I'm very excited for you to stick around for the show today. Real quick though, a couple things I wanted to mention before we move on. I'm going to talk about the game solo first before Nick and I come together, so the podcast will be divided into several sections. Speaking of, Nick and I came together to record well before this podcast was actually finished, edited, and uploaded. When Nick and I got together, I had not finished replaying Super Mario RPG, and I referenced that a few times when we talk. Once I had put a call out for comments on the game to our Wildlands community, Several people were very anxious for me to talk about or comment on several things that I had yet to re-experience. So, I went back and finished the game to almost 100% completion. I may have missed a few things here and there, but I did complete the main story and can chalk this one up as complete in that sense. I mainly did this so I could speak to the game's secret boss encounter. I'll touch on that a little before too long and a few other things, but I just wanted to put that out there in case I'd said something that made it sound like I completed the game before the interview portion of the show starts and I talk like I haven't finished it yet. Hopefully that all makes sense. Now, if you're new to the show, I like to kick things off by chatting it up with you all for a little bit and giving you all a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands before getting into the episode itself. Depending on what's on my mind, I like to talk about what's going on with the podcast itself, what games I might be playing, what's going on in my personal life, any projects I'm working on, and whatever else I feel like blabbing about. I'll also read and respond to any comments I received about Super Mario RPG when I put a call out on our social media. Now, if none of that sounds interesting to you and you just want to get to my Super Mario RPG thoughts or you're just here for the interview portion of the episode, I'll have timestamps in the show notes so you can skip ahead to exactly where you need to go. But don't run off just yet. The intro segment of the show is usually pretty fun. I'll talk about some games and you'll get to hear your fellow Wildlanders sound off a bit. So, without further ado, my friends, grab yourself a seat by the campfire and settle in. Let's dive into our opening segment that I like to call Campfire Catchup. So by the time you're hearing my words, Halloween has come and gone. It was a pretty decent one this year, I have to say. I didn't get a chance to watch as many scary movies as I would have liked, but I did play through one of my favorite scary video games of all time, Silent Hill 2. It's a game that really has a masterful presentation, and getting to experience it with a good pair of headphones while playing in complete darkness just made that whole experience for me. It turned into the biggest podcast episode that I've done up to this point, so if you haven't given it a listen yet, you can find that in the archives right before this episode. And I wanted to thank everyone who reached out and offered me such amazing feedback on that episode, by the way. I was a little worried I went a little overboard in some spots, but the mass majority of you seem to like it, so thank you again for taking time out of your day to connect with me. Beyond Silent Hill 2, I didn't get a chance to play much else scary game-wise. I did go back and replay Until Dawn, because I tend to do that every Halloween, but that's about it. I've gotten my hands on several spooky games that I just didn't make time for this year. I missed out on the Fatal Frame series on the PlayStation 2, but I got my hands on Fatal Frame, Maiden of Blackwater for my Nintendo Switch. Other than combating ghosts with a camera, I know nothing of this series and just wanted to experience something in that universe. I've also been sitting on Cold Fear for the PlayStation 2, which is an over-the-shoulder style game that apparently plays a lot like Resident Evil 4. Cold Fear takes place on a whaling ship at sea and was overshadowed by RE4's release. And speaking of the PlayStation 2, I'm also sitting on some spooky titles like Resident Evil Outbreak, Blood Rain, Alone in the Dark, and Lifeline. I have a decent amount of spooky games to play, it's just a matter of making the time. I'm genuinely curious what scary games you like or think I should get my hands on. I've had some great recommendations already, but please keep them coming. If you want to pass along your thoughts to me, you can find me and the Retro Wildlands podcast over on social media. The Retro Wildlands is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, slash X, YouTube, and Threads if you search at Retro Wildlands on those platforms. Or you can check out our link tree at linktr.ee forward slash to find all of our socials in one place. Check us out, give us a follow, and either comment on one of the posts hanging out there or shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Beyond all the spookiness, things around the wildlands have been business as usual. Just when I got done saying things at work calmed down, they ramped back up and took a ton of time away from the show for a while. However, I am currently enjoying a week off of work and it is going to be great just resetting a bit and knocking out some projects around the house and with the show. One thing I absolutely needed to do was sit down with my family and play the new Super Mario Wonder. Cameron and my wife Justine and I put several hours into this game and were on the third world, I think. It is a fantastic game and I highly recommend it. You would think Nintendo would run out of ideas for a 2D Mario game, but oh no, they nailed it with this game. Running through each level is fun and introducing the wonderflowers in each level is a fantastic game mechanic. Grabbing one of these things will alter the level that you're in in a unique way, or even alter the character you're playing as. It is a pretty trippy experience, but it's a great way to keep gameplay fresh, and it offers up a genuine challenge for anyone looking to 100% this game. It was fun playing with other people, and the best part is your character doesn't bump into other players like in Super Mario Wii U Deluxe which meant me and the family weren't bickering at each other as much. It was nice. Super Mario Wonder gets the Retro Wildlands seal of approval for what it's worth, and you should check it out if you are remotely into Mario games, or you just like good games in general. You will not be disappointed. Other than that, I don't think I have much else I want to ramble about today. There's plenty going on in my neck of the woods, but this episode is poised to be a pretty beefy one already, so I think it's time for us to get into the reason that you're all here today. It is time to talk about Super Mario RPG. Eric from the Unlockables podcast is going to start off our community comments. He wrote in over on our Twitter slash X page about Super Mario RPG and said, My introduction to RPGs as a kid. Such a fun, unique, and charming Mario adventure with fantastic original characters, an incredible world, and killer soundtrack. Can't wait for the upcoming remake. I am right there with you, Eric. This game was my first RPG as well from what I can remember, and it was very easy to get lost in this world. It was a Mario game through and through, but the way this world was constructed made it all the more unique and appealing. And now that I've replayed it, the soundtrack is right back near the top of one of my all-time favorites, too. And for those of you listening, if you get done with this episode and you want some more Super Mario RPG content, the Unlockables podcast recently put out an episode talking about the game, so go find them and give them a listen. Thanks for writing into the show, Eric. I hope you and yours are doing well. The Deleted Saves podcast chimed in over on our Twitter page and said, The only time I've truly enjoyed Mario games is when they were RPGs. This was a good introduction to the idea. I 100% agree. Super Mario RPG was the perfect game to bring this concept over. I genuinely enjoy most Mario games, but RPGs will always be one of my favorite genres, so combining the two just seems like a no-brainer. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in the main part of the show itself, but this game was simple enough that it didn't alienate those who never played an RPG before. However, one could argue that this game was a little too simple at times. Me, however, I thought the balance was near perfect especially when there was a hidden boss that really put your skills to the test. Thanks for writing into the show, Deleted Saves. I really appreciate it. We had a couple comments that made me think not everyone out there cares for Super Mario RPG. The real Dave Jackson, the host of The Tales from the Backlog podcast, posted on Twitter saying, Depends if Retro Wildlands wants the episode to be a celebration or my honest thoughts. And then right behind him, the Good, the Bad, and the Backlog podcast jumped in and said, "Ew! I don't want to be associated with that awful game. (sighs) Huh, some harsh words, my friends. I know there's a pocket of people that think this game is slightly overrated. I mean, it is a pretty simple RPG experience and not really all that difficult so I could see it garnering some dislikes out there. And there's other quirks about this game that I rag on a bit during the interview portion of the show as well. Limited inventory? A cap on how many coins you can carry? And while the story is pretty good, there are practically no character development arcs aside from one character, who turns out to be my most hated character, and the platforming in this game, while it might have been fun back in the day, can be kind of rage-inducing today. I will say, I didn't really notice the smaller cracks in the overall foundation until I replayed it recently, but hey, maybe the remake slash remaster is going to clear all those things right up. Anyway, thanks for writing into the show, Dave, and who I assume is Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog. Your hot takes are always welcome here in the wildlands. Curtis, over on our Retro Wildlands Facebook page, chimed in and poked Super Mario RPG a little bit more. He said, I still remember trying to get all of the hidden boxes as a kid and being quite angry when I found out I missed one at the very beginning, when you first followed Toad into the palace. You have to catch him, ride his head, and then jump off his head just before going into the throne room doors, or you'll never be able to jump high enough to hit that ever again. When I realized that was the only one I had missed, it was the closest I ever came to breaking a controller. Another thing I always remember is the level cap. I have always been a consummate, compulsive level grinder thanks to my Final Fantasy days so hitting max level on every character before even going into the final area was really frustrating. I still do love the game, though. (sighs) I share some of your frustrations here, Curtis. If I ever do a top 10 episode on my biggest gaming pet peeves, missable content will be on that list for sure. I love that you can find hidden chests floating in the air, and in classic Mario fashion you can find them and crack them open, but to make one missable like that is inexcusable. And as far as the level cap goes, I can take it or leave it. On one hand, I'm with you. I love grinding out levels, getting overpowered, and seeing all of my efforts on display as I take out the final boss with ease but on the same token, I was pretty frustrated when I was in the final area of the game, fully maxed out with all characters, and I had no incentive to fight anything. The game still felt balanced, I suppose, but battle wasn't as fun without the rewards, you know? I'm curious if you plan to grab the remake, so if you think of it, let me know your thoughts. Thanks for writing in, Curtis. Always good to hear from you. Bird Gas Birdgiss? We're gonna go with Birdgas. Hope I pronounced that right. Birdgas wrote into the show over on our Retro Wildlands threads page and showed off a badass tattoo. He said, I mean, I kinda like this game. Enough to etch Boshi onto me forever anyway. Boshi is a blue Yoshi, and he is kind of a dick to Yoshi and Mario in the game, but he is as badass as they come. Sporting a pair of sunglasses and a spiked collar, you can race him in-game with Yoshi. Once you put him in his place, though, Boshi evens out a little bit and agrees to race fairly going forward. He's a fantastic character for what he is, and while I don't think he does, I hope he pops up in other Mario games down the line. If you listening have a minute, you need to check out BirdGas' tattoo on our threads page. It is awesome. BirdGas went on to say. But also, this game was a massive deal when I was younger. As a huge fan of Final Fantasy IV and VI growing up, the idea that Square would officially team up with Nintendo to make something like this was beyond the dream. I scoured every issue of Nintendo Power for information and screenshots, and it ended up coming out just a bit before my 15th birthday. I was a guide collector, but never used them until I beat the game, and remember being stunned when I had missed a frog coin that you could only get once. I love that this game holds such special meaning for you. I was the same way with a bunch of other games myself. I loved reading about them and I loved getting guides, but I never used them until the game was officially over and I was playing through a second time. We had all the time in the world back then, you know? And just like I mentioned when I read Curtis's comment, knowing there's things out there that you could miss was so aggravating. When we were younger, it was more of a minor inconvenience, but nowadays, it is no fun at all. Thanks for reaching out to the show, BirdGas. I appreciate you sharing your comment. Nolan Perry also wrote into the show over on our Threads page and said, Man, this game was absolutely magical to me when I was a kid. I would rent it all the time before I owned it, and it was so cool to play someone else's game who had managed to beat it. I didn't care about spoilers, so I would just go to the last level and see what it was like. It made it so satisfying to actually see how you get there through the story. It's funny you bring that up, Nolan. I had rented Super Metroid on the SNES a time or two, and it had a save file right before the final boss encounter, and I used to beat the game and experience the ending over and over again. I never got a chance to really play the game as it was intended, so I would steal somebody else's thunder for a little while, and it felt kinda good, not gonna lie. Getting to experience Super Mario RPG's ending, I'm sure, was just as fun. You could see the world at your own pace and have a pretty strong party as well. Sounds pretty awesome if you ask me. Thanks for taking a moment to reach out to the show, Nolan. I really appreciate it. Now our last community comments all mention one specific thing, and it's this specific thing that made me go back and finish Super Mario RPG so I could talk about it. And that thing is Kulix. Kulix? We're gonna go with Kulix. And that thing is Kulix, Super Mario RPG's secret optional super boss. I never knew this creature even existed as a kid, and even though my guest Nick has played through the game multiple times, he never bothered with Kulix, so in the interview portion of the show, we decided not to bring up Kulix at all. However, with so many comments about him, I had to experience him for myself. Kulix is a Final Fantasy style boss. While all the monsters you face in this game are all rendered in 3D, Kulix is classic Final Fantasy 2D. He's formidable on his own, but he's joined with four floating crystals that will attack the player using various elemental style attacks. It's very easy to get overwhelmed in this fight, and it poses a decent challenge for players, but overall, Kulix is very defeatable. What stood out for me when it came to this boss encounter was your interactions with this creature. There are three musical numbers that are arrangements of some famous Final Fantasy tunes that'll play while you spend your time with Kulix. The battle theme is a version of the boss theme from Final Fantasy IV. If you can defeat Kulix, you'll be treated with the Final Fantasy Battle Victory theme And after the battle, you'll have a dialogue with Kulix that is accompanied by the iconic Prelude Melody. It's such a fantastic treat for anyone who gives it the time. I can honestly say though, the significance of this would have been completely lost on me as a kid, but as a Final Fantasy fan today, it made me smile. And there is a lot of love for this boss, especially for those of you who wrote into the show. William over on our Facebook page wrote in and simply said, Hope you talk about the Kulix fight, one of the best side bosses ever. And I have to agree, as far as optional encounters go, this is one of my favorites now. Even though I had a maxed out party, it was still a decent challenge. Though I feel like I cheated a little. I used Gino's boost ability to increase my attack power on Mario and had Mario use several rock candy items that I had collected up to that point. When your attack is boosted, this item, instead of doing 200 damage to all enemies, will actually do 300 damage to all enemies. It made clearing out the crystals pretty easy, provided I didn't get wiped out by a barrage of magic spells. Brando chimed in on our Twitter page and said, I didn't get a chance to play this until long after it came out, but I recall it being a complete joy to play through. Excellent design and tons of charm. Except, of course, the secret boss Kulix, whom I may have encountered at far, far too low a level. Yeah, thinking back, I think I was around level 20 when I was able to fight Kulix, and I got my ass handed to me pretty thoroughly when I tried. Like I mentioned, I made it to a point to be max level before taking him on, and even then, you have to hope Kulix doesn't wipe you out before you can mount your offensive. I think the Wind Crystal can cast a spell called Petal Blast, and if it's successful, everyone in your party turns into a mushroom unless you have an accessory equipped that can counter it. A couple times this would nail all of my characters, and I had to sit back and watch them slowly die from a barrage of magic spells. It was pretty frustrating, but that's why Kulix is the perfect Final Fantasy-esque boss. Even with proper planning, you still might get wiped out. And finally, Squidge from the Waffling Tailors podcast wrote in over on our Twitter slash X page about Kulix and said, I remember playing this and getting my butt handed to me by the secret Final Fantasy boss. Hey Nomad, did you beat it? Ultimately, Squidge, I did win the day and my strategy is kind of what I mentioned earlier. Attack boost on one character, use that character to toss rock candy that I had collected, and that helped me get a much needed edge in battle. I used the princess as my all time healer to keep everyone healthy, and I had Gino either attack buffing Mario or throwing out pot shots with his star gun weapon. All in all, the fight wasn't too bad, and I'm happy to say that I came out on top. It was the perfect cherry on top of the Super Mario RPG Sunday. A big thanks to William, Brando, and Squidge for writing in about Kulix and giving me the reason I needed to finish this game and finally take him on. Originally released on March 9th, 1996 in Japan and then on May 13th, 1996 in North America, Super Mario RPG stars Super Mario himself as he and his friends are tasked with saving the world. What begins as your typical rescue-the-princess-from-Bowser sort of journey, things quickly turn into something much bigger and far more reaching. The Smithy Gang has crash-landed into Mario's world, and they took out the Star Road on the way in. Scattering seven pieces of the Star Road all over the land, it's up to Mario to collect the seven stars and repair the road or else the hopes, dreams, and wishes of everyone will never come true again. Mario would join up with some unlikely allies on his journey, and even join the Koopa Troop in order to set things right. But the sheer amount of monsters under Smithy's command seems insurmountable. Is there hope for Mario, or will all be lost? That is where we come in, Wildlanders. Let's get on our feet and prepare for the journey ahead. Put on your power gloves, stock up on some flowers, and don't forget to pack an extra mushroom or two. Let's go show Smithy and his gang of minions why they chose the wrong world to crash. Super Mario, our favorite Italian plumber, has been in his fair share of video games, believe it or not. While many of his games at the time were awesome in their own right, there were some games back then that didn't really work all that well. And I think the reason for that is Nintendo tried to mix Mario with an idea or concept that just didn't mesh. Example: Mario's Time Machine an educational game where players travel back through time to return stolen historical artifacts that were stolen by Bowser. There was also Mario Clash, which was a Virtual Boy game that came out in 1995 that was a reimagining of the original Mario Bros. arcade game. It was so-so and didn't make a big splash on the Virtual Boy from what I read. Mario has been placed in so many different genres over the years that I can only imagine how people felt when they first heard of Super Mario RPG. Mario is made to platform, not to grind levels and equipped items. But Super Mario and the RPG genre found a way to go well together, and to this day, it stands as one of the best Mario experiences out there. Not only that, this game was probably the very first RPG many of us as kids ever got to experience. Generally speaking, Nintendo's games weren't always bangers when there was another developer in the mix, but Squaresoft and Nintendo coming together was like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Such a simple concept that changed the world. Seriously, though, having Square on board meant combining Mario's typical platforming flair and injecting into it Square's patented turn-based battle system and RPG elements. But Super Mario RPG wouldn't become as complicated as a Final Fantasy title. Super Mario RPG focused on the most simplistic of elements when it came to the genre, and that's what made it so much fun and so accessible. Even despite this, though, I found myself getting beat down pretty handedly when I was a kid playing this game. I originally came into this experience expecting it to be a Mario game full of platforming challenges, power-ups, and fast-paced gameplay. This time around, I needed to take a more methodical approach and really savor the experience. In classic RPG fashion, Super Mario RPG doesn't have just a main story to follow there's plenty of side content to be had as well. Side quests, hidden treasures, mini-games, you name it. While I've only completed the game from start to finish twice in my life now, I know there's plenty to still do here if I wanted to, and that speaks volumes to not just the replayability of this game, but its overall depth. And while I know I'm not going to touch on every little thing this game has to offer on the show today, my buddy Nick and I are going to touch on a decent amount of it. Now before Nick and I team up and talk Super Mario RPG, I thought it would be fun to set the stage like I normally do and pop this game into our Super Nintendo and check out the first opening segment. One of my favorite parts of this entire game is the opening, and of all the video game opening segments that I've experienced up to this point, this one here ranks pretty high up for me. You start the game thinking this is going to be your regular run-of-the-mill Mario adventure, but it quickly turns into so much more. You'll even find yourself teaming up with your arch-enemy Bowser in order to come out on top, and if that's not enough incentive to play this game, I don't know what is. Alright, let's grab our copy of Super Mario RPG and slot it into our Super Nintendo. Or in my case, I'll just turn on my Super Nintendo Classic. Alright, let's see here, Secret of Mana, Star Fox, Star Fox 2, Street Fighter 2, Turbo Hyper Fighting, Super Castlevania 4, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, Super Mario Kart, ah, here we go, Super Mario RPG, Legend of the Seven Stars, let's get into it. When the game opens, we're met with a scene showing Princess Toadstool taking in the day by relaxing around a bed of flowers. She smiles down at a flower in her hands and several butterflies float around her. Suddenly the clear blue skies give way to dark thunderclouds. There's something moving in the black inky sky. As soon as we register what we're seeing, Bowser swoops down in his Koopa Clown glider thingy and grabs the princess before flying away. The princess cries out for help at the top of her lungs and right on cue, Mario bursts out of his house and immediately runs after the princess for the umpteenth time and mounts a rescue attempt. Next, we're shown the top of Bowser's castle as he flies in with the princess in his clutches. As he descends into the castle, the camera pans down and we can see Mario making his way to the entrance of the castle. He stands before the giant wooden door. As if willing it with his mind, the door slowly opens. Gathering up his speed, Mario makes a mad dash inside the castle. After he crosses the threshold, the castle door slams shut behind him. Inside the castle, we're given control of Mario. We're given a somewhat top-down view of Mario, but the screen is angled diagonally. This is called an isometric view, so it's not completely up and down or left to right, if that makes sense. With our controller's directional pad, we can move Mario around the room. We can even jump and run if we press the B button or hold the Y button, respectively. On either side of Mario are several Koopa statues which give the place an ominous and evil feel. There's nothing for us to do in this room, so after we get comfortable moving Mario around, we proceed through the red doors at the end of the room. The next room is a lot bigger, and as we move forward, we spot several armored Koopa Troopas on patrol. Now if you're anything like I was when I was a kid, the first thing you're going to try here is jumping on the enemy directly in front of you. I mean, we're in a Mario game, right? Mario jumps on the bad guys and they go splat, so it should be the same thing here. Well, it is not. When we go to jump on the very first bad guy, we land on him and the screen goes black. This is our very first RPG-style battle. We're immediately taken into battle against three Koopa Troopas, who are at the top right-hand side of the screen, and we can see Mario on the lower left-hand side. He is looking right at us, and around his face are the buttons on your Super Nintendo controller. The X, A, B, and Y buttons are shown, and each button will give us options in battle. Pressing the A button will have Mario physically attack an enemy. The X button will open up our item menu and display any items we might have in our possession that we can use. The Y button will allow us to choose a special ability at the cost of some flower power, and the B button will allow us to defend for a turn and take less damage. I have to say, it It wasn't until I replayed this game that I really appreciated how this command system actually looks and feels. While I love my Final Fantasy games, some of the older ones could have the battle menu taking up the entire bottom half of the screen. Here in Super Mario RPG, this simple way of displaying all commands didn't take up a ton of screen real estate and it kept things very clean. Anyway, let's turn our attention to the battle at hand. Since we're just starting out, we don't really have too many combat options here. Let's select the attack command and target the first enemy in front of us. After making the selection, Mario rushes over and punches the Koopa Troopa right in the face. We deal 12 damage to the Koopa and that's enough to take it down. It erupts in a shower of stars and is removed from the battlefield. Nice. Now it's the enemy's turn to act. One of the remaining Koopas heads towards Mario, winds up their little fist, and takes a swing at our hero. Upon impact, we take one damage from the punch, and while that doesn't seem like a lot, we only have 20 hit points from what the top of the screen shows us, so we need to be mindful. It becomes our turn when we see the controller button prompts displayed around Mario again. After the attack, we're given a chance to act again, so let's not waste it. This time around, let's try out Mario's special ability, Jump. Pressing Y, we select it from the menu and execute. Mario rushes forward and jumps sky high. He comes down and lands right on top of the Koopa and deals a massive 42 damage. The Koopa is definitely done for and explodes into a shower of stars. We only have the one Koopa left and we should take him out using the best feature this entire battle system has to offer. Now, you won't learn this until a little after this opening game segment, but you have the ability to increase your damage output or reduce your incoming damage by pressing the A button at the right time. This game-changing mechanic is something you won't really get help using, but it's something you'll want to get good at. Let's demonstrate it on our last Koopa here. Once you select the attack command and select your enemy, Mario will rush forward to punch it in the mouth. As Mario is swinging his fist, but before he actually lands the hit, pressing the A button will allow Mario to follow up with an additional attack, dealing even more damage. Let's go ahead and try that now… and… nice one. This simple concept right here is what gives the battle system in Super Mario RPG some depth and makes battles much more engaging and enjoyable. In role-playing games around this time, you would just select your commands and watch the action happen while you sat back. Now you have a reason to be much more active in battle situations. And don't forget what I said earlier too, you can press the A button right as an enemy is attacking to reduce incoming damage as well. The timing for attacking and defending is different depending on the weapon used and the enemy that you're facing, but the game encourages you to just experiment and figure out the timing on your own. And it's not just physical attacks that you can increase your damage output with either. You can use this technique on some magic spells and abilities that you'll cast too. It's a great system that has been imitated by many great games since Super Mario RPG. Games like The Legend of Dragoon, Vagrant Story, and even the recent indie RPG powerhouse Sea of Stars. They all use some sort of timed button presses to enhance combat in a number of different ways. Definitely get used to this sort of combat mechanic because it will make the game much easier as we go. With the last Koopa defeated, we're sent back to the world and we can control Mario again. Now, normally after a battle, we're awarded coins and experience points that will go towards leveling up Mario, but in this section of the game, we're not given any of that. So since that's the case, I vote we jump over and around the rest of these enemies and keep moving. Eventually we come to a room where two chandeliers are suspended from the ceiling. Mario looks up and we can see the princess suspended in the air by a rope. On one of the chandeliers, we can see Bowser himself laughing at our hero. Without wasting any time, Mario hops on the other chandelier and the game throws us into battle with our mortal enemy. When the battle begins, Bowser shakes a clawed fist at us and tells us to prepare for the great beyond. As we go through the motions of battle, it's pretty clear that Bowser is pretty powerful. Attacks we land on Bowser do about a third of the damage that we dealt out to the Koopas, and Bowser's razor-sharp claws can pack a pretty big punch if we don't defend with a well-timed button press. After we exchange a few blows with Bowser, the princess calls out to Mario. Mario! The chain! Aim for the chain! When we're given back control, we discover that there is more than just Bowser that we can attack in this battle. The chain that's holding up the chandelier that Bowser is on is a prime target for your attacks. The battle continues on with us attacking the chain and defending Bowser's incoming attacks. Eventually, after several attacks, the chain finally gives way. Bowser looks around frantically and realizes the floor is about to fall right out from under him. In a flash, the chandelier falls, and Bowser falls with it. Bowser isn't out for the count just yet, though. He tosses up a couple hammers as he's falling, and he takes out the chain holding onto Mario's chandelier. Mario and Bowser are now in freefall, and Bowser is rightfully pissed. He screams at Mario that he's going to take him out once and for all. But our hero has other plans. As Bowser goes in for the kill, Mario jumps off Bowser's back and flies up to the chain closest to the princess as Bowser falls to the ground below. Mario, victorious, reaches out to the princess in an effort to free her. But then suddenly… A bright star in the sky shatters, and seven pieces fall to the ground in all directions. A gigantic sword slowly descends from the clouds, spinning round and round. Soon it comes to rest right in the middle of Bowser's Keep. At this point, the words Super Mario RPG appear on screen, and our game truly begins. Super Mario RPG's opening is one of the most memorable in my opinion, and any time I play through it, I'm immediately excited to set out and see this game to its conclusion. It's up to Mario to find and collect the seven stars in order to repair the star road and bring balance back to the land. Along the way, Mario is going to meet a lot of memorable characters, fight many different foes, and grow stronger with each battle. While some may say that Super Mario RPG is almost a little too easy, I argue it's not about the challenge here, it's about the journey. This game, despite all the gimmicks, is a Mario game at heart, and it's very hard not to have a smile on your face when you play through it. Some of the platforming sections haven't aged all that well from my perspective, and I question some of the gameplay mechanics, But Super Mario RPG is a game that I hold near and dear to my heart, and I think you should give it a go if you've never tried it before. But don't just take my word for it. My buddy Nick is a huge fan of this game, and he insisted he join me on the podcast today to help explain why this game is so special and why you should give it a try. So that being said, I think that is a great segue to slot in my conversation with Nick as he and I nerd out together and talk a little Super Mario RPG. Alright, welcome back, Wildlanders. It's time to really start pulling back the layers with regards to Super Mario RPG, and this is a journey that I would normally take alone, but not today. Joining me in the retro Wildlands to talk Super Mario RPG is my good friend Nick. Nick, welcome to our Wildlands expedition. How is it going today?
1: Fantastic. I'm very excited to be talking about this game. Oh yeah, this is going to be a good time.
0: Now, you approached me via text message to let me know that if I ever did an episode of the podcast on Super Mario RPG, that I had to have you on, and you said, and I quote, Hey man, if you do an episode about Super Mario RPG, please let me be a guest. It seriously was the game that got me into gaming, and to this day, one of my favorites. It was as close to perfect as I've ever played. Easily top 10 all time, and for me, it will always be
1: my top 5. So needless to say, this game means something to you, huh? It does. I can remember when I was about 9 years old, I saw this game on the shelf at Walmart, and I thought, what is this? I, I need to experience this. So we went down to our local movie rental store, and they just so happened to rent video game systems along with video games, so I took my hard-earned lawn mowing money and I rented a Super Nintendo with Super Mario RPG, got it home, had it for the whole weekend, and I think I played it, like, non-stop that weekend, and that was really the game that got me into gaming.
0: Hell yeah, that is awesome, man. And that reminds me that growing up, I used to have a place like that across from where I lived where you could go and actually rent a full-on system, too. We used to rent the original Nintendo and just cycle through a few games over time. Not that I frickin' remember any of them or anything, but I love that something like this is what got you into this game. That is super exciting, man. I'm really excited to talk a little Super Mario RPG with you, but before we do, I wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself a little bit. Now, anyone that's been in the retro wildlands for any length of time probably knows this, but I don't normally have guests on my show, with the exception of the two Simpsons games that I covered with my stepdaughter Cameron. You are my first guest on this show outside of my household, so I am super pumped to go down this road with you. Now, you and I know each other from work, and we've known each other for... God, how long has it been? Six years? Yep. Over six years, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been a minute, that's for sure. So, you're coming into this as my Super Mario RPG subject matter expert. Now, I have played this game when I was little. I remember renting this game on occasion, but at one point I had purchased it, but then I ended up stupidly selling my physical copy. Up until recently, I hadn't played this game since I was young. Now... I attempted to replay this game again using my Super Nintendo Classic this last week, but those of you who happened to catch our last episode on Silent Hill 2 know that that episode went way longer than I normally do. I just got caught up in that game and really got sucked into the podcast episode, and quite frankly, I ran out of time to beat Super Mario RPG before you and I got together today. The good thing, though, is you're here, and you're going to help me fill in the gaps. Now, before we get into any of that, is there anything that you have going on that you want to plug on the show today? Like any personal projects or things that you have going online right now? Basically, is there anywhere people can find you if you want to be
1: found? So I actually used to operate a uh, Facebook page called NixFlix where I would do short little reviews. There was a short period of time where I was thinking about actually making it into a YouTube channel and then, you know, life happens, you buy a house and just, you know, you know how it goes. But I have been thinking about getting that page back up and running and and maybe expanding into some video games here and there. Nice. That would be really cool.
0: I haven't really said this out loud or online anywhere, but I've tossed around the idea of watching old movies that I used to love growing up, or more specifically movies that I missed out on back in the day, and making podcasts around whether I like the film or if I think it still stands up today. If I ever do something like that, it's gonna be way far down the road, but I like the idea of yours, so Nixflix, sign me up. And beyond that, man, what else do you got going on? What are your hobbies? You're obviously into
1: video games, but what else do you spend your time on that you'd want to mention? Well, this might come as a shock to you, but I really enjoy movies a lot, too. Even though I just mentioned about Netflix. Uh, But no, I love all different types of media. I read every day. Right now, I'm currently reading the Silo book series. Apple TV just came out with the first season of Silo, and I enjoyed it so much. I went out, bought the trilogy, and I'm currently about halfway through book number two. It's really interesting. I I love TV series, Silo, Severance, a lot of sci-fi kind of things. And I'm one of those weirdos that really enjoys to run. I have seen on social media that you've done some excursions as of late. What's been your latest? Uh, So the latest was... Yesterday, actually ran the Gordy's Pumpkin 5K, where you actually have to pick out a pumpkin and run 3.1 miles with a pumpkin.
0: That sounds
1: awful. No, it's it's fun, I I swear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if your pictures online are any indicator, yes, it looks like you had a fantastic time. But you're not going to catch my ass running anywhere with a pumpkin in hand, let alone 5Ks worth of distance. Not a chance. (laughs) Uh awesome. Well, very cool, man. Thanks for giving everyone a chance to get to know you a little bit. Alright, so with that, let's get into this thing. Let's talk a little Super Mario RPG. Now, before we do, I just want to put up a spoiler warning for anyone listening who hasn't had a chance to partake in this game yet. We're going to be talking a lot about the game's mechanics and some of the things that you can do in this game, but we'll also be talking about the game's story, which includes up to the end of the game. Now, I'll be sure to warn you all when we get to the actual ending of the game, but everything is up for discussion from this point forward, and that point begins when the game begins and when the final battle concludes. Does everyone understand the rules? Alright. So, Nick. You finished this game for the fifth or sixth time I think it was, and I've only finished this game once. On my most recent playthrough, I'm currently at a location on the map called Land's End, which is just outside of Seaside Town, so that's where I'm at right now. We've already touched on our personal histories just a bit already, but I can still remember feeling something special when I initially played this game. Once I finished the game, I knew this was going to be a game that was going to stick with me, and I knew it was going to be a game that would stick with gamers in general. It's a game that didn't really define the genre per se, but what you could do within this genre, and that's what really sticks out to me. Now, the biggest thing I remember about this game is that it was my very first RPG ever, or at least I'm pretty sure it was. And I played this game all wrong. I played this game like a Mario game and you're not supposed to play this game like a Mario game and what I mean by that is as you go through the game you'll have enemies that on the playing field are walking around or flying around. There's no random battles like you would expect in an RPG made around this time. Not really understanding how all this works, I'm jumping over enemies and avoiding them completely so I can just concentrate on getting to the next area. And when the time came that I had to fight, I'd be confused because I didn't understand how this lowly Goomba or Koopa could put up such a fight, not realizing that I was underleveled and not as strong as I should be. Somehow, though, I did end up beating this game, and to this day, I'm not entirely sure how I made it happen. I also remember making one of the worst moves I could possibly make when it came to side quests, because I had no idea that side quests or missions were a thing. I remember a point early in the game where you came across this purple crocodile, I can't remember his name offhand, but he was the guy with the brown top hat and the sack and really enjoyed stealing stuff. Yep. He took Mallow's grandpa's coin, and when I finally caught up with him and defeated him, he dropped that, but He also dropped this item simply called Wallet. I couldn't do anything with it, and I think I found out that you could sell it at a store for, like, I don't know, a single coin. I had no idea what I was supposed to do with this thing, so ultimately I got rid of it. It was just taking up space in my inventory. Then I came across an NPC Toad that was looking for his wallet. My face went white, my heart sank, and that was my very first lesson in RPGs. This game here is not your normal type of game, and this is clearly not a Mario game like I was expecting. But replaying the game, I played it correctly this time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so with Super Mario RPG, my most recent playthrough would have been my sixth. I'm actually 35 years old, and I have played and beaten Super Mario RPG at least once every decade of my life. So I'm really happy to have this fresh in my mind. And yeah, I'm sorry, man, but you should know better than to sell something that looks strange for one coin. Like you have mushrooms, you have flower jars, you have able juice, you have pick me ups wallet. You might need to save that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, tell that to my younger self, man. (laughs) (laughs) It has certainly been a lesson that has stuck with me over the years, and while I remember Super Mario RPG for a lot of things, I will always remember it for getting rid of a quest item, no matter what. (laughs) So the cool thing about Super Mario RPG, if it's not inherently obvious by the title, is that this is a role-playing game, and at the time... A Mario game that was also an RPG was definitely different, but the one thing that drew a lot of people to it was its cast of characters. There's a lot of returning characters that people know, like Mario, Bowser, Peach, or Toadstool, as she's called in this game, but there's also many memorable characters and NPCs that we'll meet along the way as we go. Now before we get into the gameplay, I thought it would be cool to give the characters we play as a bit of the spotlight and a chance for you and I to share our thoughts about them as well as give the listeners an idea of how they might integrate into the story. So, starting off, it only feels right to begin with the hero himself, Mario. Now Mario himself is fun to play with in this game. One thing that sticks out is that you have to have him in your battle party no matter what. I don't think there's a point anywhere that he's not in your party. What I liked about him, though, is that when you're interacting with characters in the story, it's his notoriety that plays into the story and how people interact with and speak to Mario. I loved going into a situation and people would be like, Holy crap, it's Mario! The Super Mario! And you might even come across people that don't actually believe that you're the Super Mario. And the game won't move forward until you press the jump button to show people that you are who you say you are. I really liked how Mario was portrayed in this game. You didn't start off as a nobody out to prove yourself. You already have, and that notoriety fueled some really fun interactions.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed Mario and... Whenever he's going in to try to explain a story to NPCs, very often he will actually change characters into, oh, well, Bowser took Peach. So he actually transforms into Bowser and then he transforms into Peach. And there's just a lot of really cool animations with him. Um, And there's a lot of times throughout the game where it breaks the fourth wall. And, And I just think that that's really cool.
0: Oh, yeah, I like that a lot. Another thing I liked about Mario, going back to the notoriety piece, was how some of the enemies he would come across would actually treat him. One of them, and maybe I'm getting the name wrong, is it, is it Jonathan Jones? Jonathan Jones. Yeah, Jonathan Jones. You come across Jonathan Jones maybe halfway through the game, and he is an enemy that has an item that you need. But the cool thing about it is that he's going to allow Mario to fight him for it, and it's more so like an honor duel of sorts. If you're able to beat Jonathan Jones, he'll let Mario have that item. And it's not because he likes Mario or anything now, but because through the duel, he comes to respect him. Part of the actual battle has you facing Jones with just Mario while your party watches from the sidelines. The whole thing was really cool. Mario is a tried-and-true character, but this narrative gives his notoriety some story value, and I really like that idea. I agree. So another character that we meet very early on and will eventually come to be in our party is Bowser himself. I loved having Bowser in this game, and not because he was the bad guy for a hot second, but because you could play as him. And I think this was the first Mario game where you could actually play as him, if I'm not mistaken. Beyond that, I like that we got to know him a little bit and see a slightly softer side to
1: Bowser. Slightly softer? <laughs> he cries at one point. Actually, more than one point. <laughs> He's a big softie. <laughs> <laughs> he is a big softie.
0: Bowser is depicted in multiple platforms today, and I'm thinking the Super Mario Bros. movie right now. They definitely painted him in such a way that he's still mean and menacing, but he has a bit more of a personality beyond all that, and Super Mario RPG is the first time we really get to see that side of him. It's to a point where he's lost his castle, he's lost most of his minions, but he refuses to lose face in front of Mario. He eventually joins up with your party, but it's not because he wants to join Mario. He spins it as he's allowing Mario to join him, and even makes Mario part of his Koopa Troop in order to make it all happen. "Ah, I guess you could be part of the Koopa Troop, he'd say, and I thought that was hilarious writing.
1: Yeah, and, and to touch on the Bowser from the new movie, I don't think we get that iteration of Bowser without Super Mario RPG. I I think it traces its roots directly back to Super Mario RPG. Yeah, I I like that. That's a good call-out, man. Bowser's always been
0: one of my favorite characters, and he's my favorite character to use in this game just due to his sheer physical strength. He has a few weapons that will allow him to claw at enemies, but I think my favorite thing that Bowser can use in battle is the Chomp Chain. It's basically a chomp at the end of a chain, and he'll swing it round and round above his head before throwing it at an enemy. But what I love the most about that is if you can time your button press just right, it'll chow down on the enemy and do extra damage. It was just a complete Bowser kind of move, you know? So the next character I wanted to bring up is Geno. So Gino is a brand new character to the Super Mario universe, and I am pretty positive he does not pop up in another Mario game outside of the odd cameo appearance here and there. He is a puppet that is possessed by a warrior spirit sent to repair the Star Road by a quote-unquote higher authority, and he helps Mario and his crew out on their journey. Now, I remember Gino being more of a magic-centric type of character when I was little, but when I replayed the game recently, he seemed to be more physical. I could be misremembering, but what was your take on him?
1: It depends on how you use him. So Gino is probably the most diverse character in the game, I would say, because you can use him and his attacks, especially if that's kind of where you're aiming to level him up if you're focusing on attacks. But if you focus more on the star power, especially later in the game, he has some brutally devastating magic attacks that will they can clear the entire screen. Like if if you put the uh, I think they're called the speed shoes, which increases your in battle speed, if he's the first one to go and you're like, I don't even want to deal with this group of enemies, use one of his attacks that will damage everybody and you'll clear the screen. Nice. Nice. So yeah, I mean, you're not misremembering at all. I think just on this playthrough, you tended to focus more on the attacks, but if you focus more on the magic, he's very powerful. Awesome.
0: Yeah, I definitely focused more on physical damage this time around. I was trying to brute force my way through the game, which you can absolutely do if you want. There's... Not a huge party of characters to play as, but you have some wiggle room with how you can equip and use them. But yeah, I remember using Geno more so for Magic when I was younger. I really like Geno, and I don't know why the hell Nintendo hasn't brought him back in some
1: playable capacity. Do you know that he's the most requested character to be added to the Super Smash Bros. roster? I absolutely believe that, because if I ever
0: took that poll, I would absolutely vote for him, and if he wasn't on the ballot, I would write him in.
1: I think he's actually been the most requested character since they released the first Super Smash Bros. on the N64. So, like, going into whatever the name was for the GameCube version, he's been the most requested character for two decades.
0: Yeah, Super Smash Bros. Melee was the one on the GameCube, but that's really disheartening. Come on, Nintendo, listen to your loyal fans once in a while. Anyway, so moving off of Geno and segueing into the next character, let's talk about the princess. Peach herself, Princess Toadstool, whatever you want to call her. You'll eventually find her as you progress through the story, and she is more or less, at least in my opinion, your classic healer. She has a couple offensive abilities, but more often than not, she would be the one that I would bring in to heal wounds and status effects, and that was pretty much it. That's how you utilized her, I assume?
1: Yeah, uh, but I will say that towards the end of the game, it's going to be very difficult to beat the game without having her in your party, and luckily there are a few weapons that you can get for Peach that are pretty devastating. My favorite weapon for her is I think it's called the war fan, where it's just, you know, a fan. And if you time the button press just right, it hits the enemy with the first little whack sound. And then she opens the fan and slaps him across the face with it. And it just makes this very satisfying sound. And I'm like, oh, that that hurt. I
0: know it hurt. Oh, yeah. I remember that now. It was one of my favorite weapons to use with her when I was little. That thing was absolutely righteous. I really like Peach as a party member, but in my most recent playthrough, I actually sidelined her in favor of a different experience, but I agree with you. As we get towards the end of the game, she is going to be very integral to our success. So now that leaves one more character to talk about, and this character is another new one to the franchise. He hasn't been in any other games that I'm aware of, which is awesome because I hate him. And for those of you that have listened to the show before probably know, I don't swear too much on the show, but right now, that filter is coming off. The character I'm talking about is Mallow, and I fucking hate Mallow. What are your thoughts on Mallow before I hog the microphone and unload on this guy?
1: Uh, I, I'm interested to see why you hate him so much, because I, I personally found his storyline kind of... It was, it was pretty tragic, man, and you're really going in hard on Mallow.
0: <laughs> okay, I might be going a little hard on a little guy, and his story is compelling, and I do like his character arc. But goddamn, all he does is whine and complain. His magic spells aren't all that powerful. Sure, you could probably put some stat points into his magic. But no, I didn't do any of that. And any time there was a story moment with Mallow involved, like that time Mario and him had to outrun these things exploding on the path that they were on, what does he do? He trips and falls and then bitches to Mario about how Mario left him behind when it was Mallow who couldn't keep his own footing and the Tadpole Pond where he lives with his Tadpole Grandpa. The music in that area is just downright repetitive. It drives me nuts, and I don't know why, I'm probably overreacting, but I just do not care for him as a character. As soon as I had the ability to swap out party members, he was gone, and I never used him
1: again. So, I will agree with you on one facet. I did not like using him in battle because his physical attacks were essentially useless. However, if you remember the Thunderbolt, I think it's the first magic attack that he has. If you time the button press on that correctly, it will act as like a physical attack. And you can just clear enemies, like especially early in the game. If you're going up against five Goombas or something and you hit that attack just right, you're going to just clear him out. So he he did have certain uses, but I agree once I got to the point where I didn't have to have him in my party anymore, I didn't keep him in my party. But I will say that he has the best story arc, in my opinion, in the entire game.
0: I, I'll concede and give you that. He did have a good character arc, and there were some moments that I really liked. Here's an example of one. There's a location that you'll go to called Star Hill. Now, before this, Mallow finds out that he is actually not a tadpole, which he was brought up to believe his entire life, which is whatever, I guess. But when he and Mario are on Star Hill, you can come across a wish that turns out to be a wish from Mallow's parents, and they're wishing that Mallow one day finds his way home. I did really like that, and I thought that it was a great piece of storytelling. So I'll give you that. None of the other characters have moments like this. I don't know if I would call it a heavy moment per se, but I will say Mario is not known for moments like this, so
1: I'll give you that. I think it was probably the heaviest part of the game. If you really figure out what it's saying, I mean, he is an orphan. He's raised by Frog Frogfugius and Tadpole Pond as his own, but he knows, after Star Hill, he knows, hey, I'm not actually a tadpole. I need to go find my real family. And eventually you get to Nimbus Land, and we're going to talk about the some of the beats of the story, but since we're talking about Mallow's Ark, I'm just going to come right out and say it. His parents are being held hostage by Valentina and Dodo in Nimbus Land, and they're actually the king and queen of Nimbus Land, and Mallow is a prince. And when you defeat Valentina and Dodo, and you get the key to where his parents are being held, Mario actually doesn't go into the room with him. He lets Mallow go in by himself, and then Mario's just kind of standing outside the room, tapping his foot, and then you see Rain start falling, which we know every time Mallow cries, it it's a torrential downpour. So you know, like he's having this reunion with his parents that he hasn't seen them since he was a baby, and it's just it it is it's heavy. So i I have a different take on Mallow. I didn't like using him in my party, but I thought his story arc was it was magnificent.
0: All right, I, I concede. I'll I'll give you that. But if Mallow steps just one foot towards my battle party, he is done. (laughs) But you're right, though. It was a pretty good character arc, all things considered. Alright, so that's our cast of playable characters. There's plenty of other characters in the game that we may or may not touch on as we go, but those were the heavy hitters. What I want to get into next is the overall gameplay. We'll certainly touch on the battle system, since it's the most unique part about the whole experience, but what I want to talk about is the overall experience. Super Mario RPG was a blending of two genres. One part was, of course, the role-playing game aspect, obviously, since it was in the title, but they tried to keep the platforming aspect of Super Mario intact here. Overall, I think the developers did fairly well, although there were some trouble spots that I feel like were easy to look over when we were younger and are much more obvious to see now. When you're not in battle, the game predominantly has an isometric view, which isn't top-down really, it's more diagonal-down. The reason I bring this up is because when you move Mario around, you typically move him from left to right in most other games, and it's easy to see what it is that you need to interact with or jump on to move forward. In this isometric view, it's much harder to line up where Mario needs to go, especially when you need to line up a longer jump. I found it much more frustrating than I remember trying to get to some hard-to-reach places, and it was just a little aggravating. It's still serviceable for the most part, though. But I'm droning on here. Nick, what are your thoughts? The platforming is atrocious. So I was the nice guy this time around.
1: <laughs> you, were, you were nice on this one. Uh, there is a segment in the volcano, which is pretty far into the game, where, you know those platforms from, I think they first appeared in Super Mario World where if you stand on them for like three seconds, they start jiggling and then they eventually fall. Yeah, There's a segment in the volcano where you have to, you have to platform across a dozen of these things to get from one end of land across lava to the other end where the other piece of land is. And if you stand on one of them for too long, it drops out just like it did in super Mario world. And you have to actually exit the room and come back into the room to make it reappear. It won't reappear naturally. And it took me, I was actually playing this level two nights ago. It took me, I want to say 15 or 20 minutes just to get across this stupid bridge. Because the other thing is, there's those, the fireballs are jumping up in between every other one of these platforms. So... Yeah, it's fine. I'll I'll fight them. But at that point, like I was pretty OP on some of these enemies, like the flame ball. So it's more tedious. I'm not really getting a ton of XP from them. And it's just, I, if I was 20 years younger, I probably would have broken my virtual console controller.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I didn't make it that far in my replay, but there was some other dungeon or area that had the same or similar type of trap where I had to jump over lava and the fireballs were there, so yeah, I have an idea of the pain there. I didn't mind getting into battle with the fireballs, though, even if they didn't give much experience. I actually spent more time battling in my replay than I ever did when I played this game as a kid, and for me, 1 or 2 XP still adds up, so bring it on. but. All in all, the platforming here was not the highlight of the game. I don't want to think it was forced into the game or anything, but it definitely was not the highlight. You know, now that I think about it, let me pose a question to you. Do you think this game would be more memorable or successful today
1: without platforming of any kind? That's a really good question. I think that the platforming is... I I know I just ragged on it, but... Transport yourself back to 1996. This was something that Squaresoft had never done before. Nobody had ever done anything like this. They married Mario with Final Fantasy, essentially. And I think that that platforming in 1996 was as good as it could have been. And I might be giving Squaresoft a bit of a pass on this. So in 1996, I I like it. I'm saying today, replaying it, it is so frustrating. And since I've already beaten it five times before my most recent playthrough, I could have done without it. But I think for that first playthrough, I do think that it adds something to the game that I think it might be missing some of the charm had it not included the platforming. However, If there's like a new game plus or something with the new Mario and they say, Hey, all the platforming sections, you can just make it a flat line and you don't have to worry about platforming. I'd probably dig that.
0: Interesting. That is a really good take on the whole thing. I tend to go back and forth at times on whether or not this game is stronger with platforming or without it. But I think like it or not, the platforming is part of this game's identity and makes it what it is today. And I'm with you. If they give us the option to toggle platforming on and off in the remake slash remaster coming out soon, I'm probably going to toggle that switch off. But for better or worse, platforming is part of the core gameplay in Super Mario RPG as it stands, so you'll have to contend with it while moving around area to area. Now, we'll touch on the actual battle system shortly, but battles don't happen randomly like in most RPGs during this time period. You'll find enemies roaming around the playfield with you, and it's only when you touch them or they touch you that battle commences. It's nice because it's pretty much on you if you want to engage in battle in that moment or not, but if you've ever played an RPG before, you'll know that getting into battle is something that you'll want to do because that's how you gain experience to level up your characters, and that's how you gain coins to buy new equipment. But if you wanted to do like I did when I was a kid and avoid everything, that option is there too, I guess. But before we move on, I had a few other things I wanted to bring up that didn't really bother me as a kid, but now that I'm an older, grouchier man, there are some things that I just could not ignore. First on the list is your inventory. Now, my favorite RPG is Final Fantasy VII, which will absolutely get an episode of the podcast at some point, mark my words. But in Final Fantasy 7 or pretty much any other RPG, you can constantly stock up on items and there's practically no limit on what you can carry. You have this bottomless pit of a satchel and everything fits in there nicely. It's nice and really speaks to my inner hoarder, but this is not the case with Super Mario RPG. In Super Mario RPG, your inventory is extremely limited in space. I can't remember offhand how many spaces you actually have, but I know it's not many. In other RPGs, you can stack items. Example, one space in your inventory can be for potions, and you can have up to 99 potions in that one inventory slot. In Super Mario RPG, each inventory slot is reserved for a single item, even if you have multiples of that item. It's just like your classic survival horror experience. And while I somewhat like the idea because it gives items actual weight when it comes to planning for the next area of the game, I would often find that a full inventory would inhibit my gameplay experience. Example, I can't count how many times I would platform my ass off to get an out-of-the-way treasure chest just to open it and be forced to throw something in my inventory out just so I could take the one thing with me that I just found. Is this something that completely ruined the experience for me? Eh, I argue no. But for some reason, it really stood out to me this time around. What are your thoughts on the inventory system?
1: When it comes to inventory management in Super Mario RPG, my biggest gripe is not necessarily that I have to do it. It's that in certain battles, enemies will actually drop items, and you don't have the option to say, no, I don't want that. It just dumps it into your inventory. So that kind of annoyed me because, let's face it, there's certain items that you need more than others. If you're a heavy magic user, you're going to need honey syrups, maple syrups, and of course, you're going to need pick-me-ups. Pick-me-ups are actually more important than mushrooms in this game because mushrooms, I think your base mushroom restores 30 points and mid-mushrooms restore 80. Pick-me-ups is it's a revive. So if one of your party goes down, you use a pick-me-up, it re- restores 100% of their HP. That's actually one of the best items in the game. And if you get, uh, I don't know, one of the worthless items that gets dropped after a battle, and that's taking up a slot that when you go to a shop, you want to buy more pick-me-ups. It, I don't know. It's... It's not a huge problem because I never got to the point in the game where I was in a dungeon and I'm like, I am completely out of everything that I need and all I have are able juices. So I could understand it being a gripe, but I think it's an interesting game mechanic that isn't in a lot of other RPGs. So I I didn't I didn't hate it.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think I completely disliked it. It forced me to do things differently, which at the end of the day, I did appreciate. One thing I wish you could do, and maybe you can do this and I just never found out how, but I would have loved for the game to give me the option to use an item when I'm forced to throw one out when I have too many.
1: Yeah, you can't do that. That would be a nice quality of life improvement in the the remaster that's coming out. Oh yeah, I would absolutely agree
0: with that. So, my next little gripe... Now, when I was playing and getting to a point where I was getting out of dungeons, I would fall back into my RPG habits where I would visit a town, sell off excess items for coins, and free up inventory space to prepare for more loot. And that's when I noticed that the amount of coins you can carry at one time is capped as well. All told, you can only carry up to 999 coins. What in the actual hell is up with that?
1: Uh, I'm just going to chalk that up to limitations of the Super Nintendo. They couldn't add a fourth digit. (laughs) That's what it is. Hardware limitations. (laughs)
0: Nice. It's certainly not the worst thing. It's just that I found myself battling a lot more in my replay, and I would be maxing out my coin reserves quite a bit to the point where it was annoying. But on the bright side, when I would come across a new town that had new equipment for everyone in my party, It was nice to just be able to buy everything I needed and still have some coin left over. So all in all, another minor gripe, but it was something that I could not look past this time around. Now before moving on to the battle system, I did want to call out the overall presentation of this game, especially when it comes to the game's locations. Just like most other Mario games, the locations in this game were mostly memorable. They have their different themes and nuances, you know, things like that. What I liked most about the locations in Super Mario RPG was the fact that a new area didn't make you play any differently, but it did make you interact with the environment in a different way. Let me see if I can explain exactly what I mean here. Let's talk about the sunken ship area as a high-level example. When you're in it, you'll eventually have to decipher clues to figure out a password that will get you into the next area. So in the sunken ship, you're exploring a lot more, and you're more into finding secrets and hidden passages, whereas other areas of the game are vastly different. Another example here is the Kiro sewers. There is nothing really special here, it's just a dark and smelly sewer and you're trying to find your way through it by going through tunnels and interconnecting pipeways, hoping you don't get lost. There's definitely some standout locations and there are certainly some duds in this game, and when you and I were talking off-air a little bit, I think we both agreed that the Kiro sewers were an overall low point in this whole experience.
1: Yeah, that is definitely one of the low points. That and the section of the volcano that I mentioned earlier, there there are definitely some low points, but even Super Mario RPG's low points, to me, are still much, much higher than a lot of other games' high points. It, It really speaks to the quality of this game. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's kind of like sausage on a pizza for me. I'm not a
0: huge fan of sausage on a pizza, but I am still going to eat the pizza because overall, I'm sure the pizza is still delicious. Right, I'm with ya. (laughs) Nice. One other area that stood out for me that we mentioned earlier is a place called Star Hill. The game's theme is centered around wishes. Star Hill in this game is where all the world's wishes come together. So when you're in this area, it immediately stands out against the other greener locations that you've been to. It's a darker, calmer place, and scattered all over the ground are stars, which contain wishes. You can interact with the stars and hear the wishes contained inside them, and I thought this was really cool. By the time you get to Star Hill, you're about halfway through the game. You've met a decent amount of characters now, some more memorable than others, but when you look in on the wishes, you can almost match up what wish goes with what person you might have met, and I thought that was a really awesome touch. Yeah. There was one wish that really stood out to me that I thought was really cool, and it went like this. I want to be a great plumber like my brother, Mario. Now, if you don't know whose wish that is, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast, but I thought that was just really cool. It was the little things like this that made Star Hill a memorable place for me.
1: Star Hill was awesome. It was such a different location than anywhere else in the game. I mean, pretty much everything else in the game, you can kind of see the the roots back to the Mushroom Kingdom, Super Mario World, and Star Hill was just so bizarre, and the music was—it uh, almost sounded like you know the the chimey kind of Harry Potter music. It it just felt mystical, magical, and the the enemies in that area too were totally bizarre, like gophers. What? <laughs> and that's the only place that you fight these gophers. It's just it's bizarre, and I, I loved it.
0: Yeah, now that you mention it, Star Hill was out of place, but in a very good way. It was pretty odd to just be running around and all of a sudden, here's a gopher out of nowhere and now I'm in battle. (laughs) It was very bizarre, like you said, but I really liked that place overall. Alright, so I'm sure we'll touch on some more locales before we end the show, but now I want to transition into the heart of the gameplay experience it is time to talk about the battle system. Let's do it. Now, you were telling me off-air that this battle system, the way Super Mario RPG does it, was unique at the time, and Super Mario RPG did it first.
1: Yes, and I want to say, Super Mario RPG was, for me, my introduction to gaming. I, I had played, like, original Nintendo games, and I thought it was fun. This is where I became a gamer. And this influenced me so much that when I played Final Fantasy 7 for the first time, one or two years after I played this, I kept hitting the timed button. And I'm like, is it working? Is it working? Is Cloud, is his, is his sword dealing out more damage? I don't know. I, it doesn't seem like it's working. But Super Mario RPG taught me, hey, if you hit the button at just the right time, you're going to double the damage.
0: You saying all that brings back the same memory for me. I had forgotten until you said this, but I, honest to God, did the exact same thing. <laughs> Even if I didn't see a larger damage output, I thought that hitting my button at the right time would give me an extra critical hit chance or something like that. Now, we did get the ability to increase damage when using Squall's Gunblade in Final Fantasy VIII, but god damn, that is hilarious. I thought I was the only one that hit my button in other games like that. <laughs> So, if I may, I want to put you on the spot if I could. I'm sure a decent amount of people listening probably understand the nuances that is this game's battle system, but for those who might not know, or for those that need a refresher, do you care to give us a brief synopsis?
1: Yeah, so it it actually goes back to something I said earlier about Princess Peach and her war fan. If you're doing a physical attack and even some magic attacks... When you choose the attack, they will go through the normal motion. So Mario will have a hammer and he'll he'll hit down with the hammer. Bowser will have a chomp that he can throw and and hit an enemy. Peach has her war fan, she can hit with an enemy. However, if you find just the right timing, so right before Mario's hammer lands or right before Bowser's chomp lands on the enemy, if you hit the A button, Right at the right time, the animation will change. And Mario, instead of hitting with the hammer once, will actually hit twice. The chomp, instead of just hitting the enemy, will actually open up its mouth and go, and deal out at least... 1.5 1.5 damage. I think your chomp was much more ferocious than my chomp, but go <laughs> ahead. I just, I love that. The, there's so many cool animations and the game does not hold your hand, which is something that the more recent Mario RPG iterations like Mario and Luigi and Paper Mario, they have done a lot more hand holding. I think there's one point in this game where it tells you about timed button presses very early on, but it doesn't tell you really how to do it or when to do it. All it says is press A as you're attacking. But every character's animation is different. And even within those characters, when you, for example, Mario, you go from the hammer to your punching gloves. And when you go to the punching gloves, that window to hit the A button to double your attack changes from the hammer. So it's a constant learning curve, and I appreciate the fact that it's not a tutorial every single time I get a new item.
0: Yeah, I really like that about this game. I'll admit, at first, I was a little annoyed without any direction. Mario starts with his fists and soon finds the hammer. After that, he finds a Koopa shell, I think, and uses that as his weapon. All three attack methods use different timed button presses for max damage, so... Hitting the button early for one method may not be the timing needed for another. Now, the reason that annoyed me was I would find a new weapon that would have a higher base attack stat, but since I had to relearn the timing window, I found that I was dealing less damage with my new weapon until I was able to find that sweet spot again. But when I did find that new sweet spot and I saw my damage go up, It was sort of an aha moment, and it felt really good finding my way back.
1: So I know you know that you can also use the time button presses defensively. Yes. Did you know that there are some magic attacks that you can actually block? I... no, I don't think I knew that. Not all of them. If it's a magic attack and it's only aimed at one party member, I think, like, Drain is one, you can actually block a drain. So when the little light orb comes out, if you hit the A button at just the right time, you can actually block that. So I thought that was kind of interesting and it's way harder to get the timing down for things like that. And even just defensively in general, I found the timing to be more difficult than offensively, but it is still cool that there's like little nuances that, hey, I I don't care if they're going to attack the entire party I'm still hitting that A button when I think that there might be, that window might be open.
0: I think I actually got to a point where I would get hit with a magic attack and I would stop trying to defend it with a button press because it never worked for me, so I just figured either my timing was just that bad or the attack was unblockable. I certainly need to practice more though, but this whole timed button system, it sounds so simple when you say it out loud. Press button at right time, do more damage. Press button at right time, take less damage. But what makes this battle system so successful is it gives the player a reason to be invested in a battle situation. There's so many other games out there where you just enter the command, sit back, watch things play out, and repeat. Now, you have some direct control over the battle itself, even if it's just giving your character a chance to deal more damage or defend an incoming blow. It encourages the player to engage themselves in battle, and the button presses make the battle a little bit more fun, too. There's plenty of games out there now that have tried to replicate this battle system, and while there's some out there that do a pretty good job adapting it to their own systems, I argue none of them have really nailed it like Super Mario RPG did.
1: No, I I completely agree with you. The newer games, like the Paper Mario, Mario, and Luigi... There's a lot more hand-holding, and I, the window is a lot bigger in these newer games. Mm-hmm. Uh, the window with Super Mario RPG was real tight, and you had to be real precise. It's interesting, though, that even though the battle system
0: requires a lot of preciseness, and I don't want to get too far off topic here, so bear with me, a decent amount of people I've talked to have considered this game to be baby's first RPG. Overall, there's not too much going on under the hood, and it's pretty simplistic. There's not a lot of stats to manage, not a lot of item management, really. But at the same time, this system and the game's features are as complicated as you, the player, want them to be.
1: Oh, I I agree completely. And calling it Baby's First RPG, I would say that if we're in 1996, yes, you could say that. Well, actually, no, I take that back. Baby's first RPG is Mystic Quest because you literally cannot die in that game. (laughs) If you die in Super Mario RPG and you thought, oh, I I don't need to save. I'm just going to go right through. It takes you all the way back to your last save point. And not all save points, even if you are saving every single time, are at forgiving locations. I got killed multiple times on my most recent playthrough. Mostly because I was kind of thinking about, like, I've already beat this game five times. This is kind of like, you know, baby's first RPG. But I got my butt kicked a few times, man, especially towards the end of the game. And then I remembered, all right, I'm going to treat this like a Bethesda game. And I'm just, once I get through a battle or once I clear a room, I'm going back to the last save point saving and then going back through. Because it'll kick your butt if you're not paying attention.
0: Oh, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. The simplicity of this game can't be ignored, but even in the simplicity, there could be a competent and challenging game underneath it all. Outside the button presses to increase attacks and boistering your defense, there is magic in this game as RPGs want to do. Now, the way magic is done is a bit different than what some might be used to. In most RPGs, each character has a specified amount of MP, or magic points, and those points would belong to each character specifically, individually. In Super Mario RPG, instead of magic points, we have flowers. And flowers are one big pool of flowers that each character draws from instead of having their own individual pool. And I should also mention that it's not just magic that uses flowers, it's any special ability. Now take for example Mario. He has an ability called Jump, which uses three flowers to execute, I believe. When those three flowers are used, it takes away from the party's flower pile, so you have to decide what abilities make sense to use given your current flower power. Now, I rather like this approach, but I can see how it can be limiting. Say you're using Mallow and you're toasting everything with his thunder magic. Then you come across an enemy that you know is going to go down easy with Mario's super jump, but do you use the super jump on a single enemy or do you continue to use Mallow's thunder magic which hits everyone all at once? It can be limiting from that perspective, but it does make you think strategically a bit. One nice thing about the treasures and loot that you'll find as you go is you'll often find flowers, flower jars, and even flower boxes that'll increase your overall flower pool, so as you progress, you're able to use more special abilities more often. overall, I like the system, but I am curious what are your thoughts
1: on the magic system? I actually thought it was a little too forgiving, especially end game. Um, my take is peach. Her healing abilities should have used more flower points than they did. I found myself at the end of the game only needing to use one maple syrup, and I thought that that was a little too forgiving.
0: I can absolutely see that. Personally, in my most recent playthrough, I found myself using special abilities very rarely. I used Mario, Bowser, and Geno for a long while, and it wasn't until I got into the later parts of the game that I needed to consider using more special abilities. And even then, my flower reserves were pretty high at that point, so I didn't really have too much to worry about.
1: Yeah, if you're using Geno's magic abilities, then you're going to be using a lot of honey syrups, maple syrups, things like that to get you through. Because his offensive magic attacks, I think his ultimate attack takes like 16 points which in contrast peach can heal the entire group completely like she heals about 160 hp for each character and clears any status ailments for four that's where i think maybe if that was eight or ten and you had to kind of do a little bit more conservation like oh do i just use her and heal every single time because i have 54 total points to use and she's only using four every time like maybe instead of healing every time i let their hp drop down to where it's a little bit more dangerous where if a enemy has back-to-back attacks i'm not surviving and i i never really felt like i had to do that Yeah, kind of takes away that risk-reward element from the
0: whole system, I I see what you're saying there. I'd be curious to see if they change that balance up at all with the new remake-slash-remaster on the horizon. So, with that, that's pretty much the battle system in a nutshell. One thing I did notice now that I'm thinking about it, though, party members that are not in your battle party gain experience as if they had participated in the battle. And I don't know if they get 100% of the experience rewarded or just a fraction of it, but I thought it was really cool. I don't know about you, but usually when I have my main RPG party, I rarely use anybody else. So in some games, I'd find my unwanted characters will fall behind in level, but then the game forces me to use them in a story segment or something, and that can just be really annoying. This way, though, everybody stays on pace, and I can swap them in and out as
1: needed without having to worry about their level. So the game will disperse experience points in totality to everybody in your party. Nice, that's awesome.
0: I am a big supporter
1: of that. Yeah, I loved it. Now, really quick before we move on,
0: I am curious about something. What was your main party of characters? Over all the time that you've put into this game, who were your go-to
1: characters and why? I am so glad that you asked
2: this.
1: (laughs) So I think, and I, I probably realized this as a kid because my party was the same the first time I played it as it was the last time for the end game. And I think that Super Mario RPG kind of funnels you into using certain characters at certain points of the game. So when you start out, you're, you're with Mario and Mallow, and the third character that you get in your party is actually Bowser, or is it Gino? Gino is the third character you
0: get, and Bowser is the fourth. I remember that specifically because once you get your fourth character, the game teaches you how to swap out party members, and that's right when I kicked Mallow the hell out of my party, and he was no longer welcome back.
1: Uh, yes, yes, you're right. Gino is actually significantly earlier than Bowser. But you still don't really have to make any choices. But once you get Bowser, your party naturally becomes Mario, Bowser, Gino. Just like you said, you take Mallow out. When you get Peach later on... I didn't use her at first because I didn't have to. I was just bulldozing through everybody with offensive attacks from Mario, Bowser, Gino. There is a point in the game shortly after where you stopped at the sunken ship. When you go to the volcano, the difficulty starts ramping up there and you need to be able to heal. And there's that inventory management. It's a lot easier to use four... Flower points to heal the entire group than to be using a mid mushroom, uh, like one at a time, or pick me up, like letting your party die so that you can use a pick me up to regain 100% health. So there is a point in the volcano where it kind of says, okay, Mario, you can't take him out of your party. Peach is basically a necessity. So now who do you want your third character to be? And that third character is going to kind of depend on your playstyle. For me, it's always been Bowser just because his physical attacks are so epic and deal so much damage. But I could I can understand why somebody might choose Geno cuz he does have good physical attacks, his magic attacks are very powerful at the end of the game. And I'm with you. I don't know why anybody would put Mallow in it end game.
0: Yeah, my hatred for Mallow aside, I could not statistically justify putting him back in my party based on his stats and his available abilities. I defaulted to Bowser just because I enjoyed his sheer raw power and I loved a lot of the weapons that he used, and Peach was certainly a no-brainer, and that comes from that every party needs a healer mentality. And I didn't remember how inexpensive her heal-all ability was until you mentioned it, but once she has that ability and you stick her in your party,
1: that was it. She was not going anywhere. And to be quite frank, I don't know how you beat the game without Peach. Last night when I was finishing it, I died twice against the final boss and had to restart the fight, and I had Peach in my party, and I was using her as a healer. So if you don't have a healer in your party, I, I honestly don't know how you could beat it unless you just, just spent hours grinding and grinding. And there is a place towards the end of the game where you can grind. And I did grind a little bit. I think I finished the game. My party was at level 26, but you max out at 30. So there's only four more levels to go from there. And even going up to level 30, the final boss has so many hit points I don't know how you beat the game without Peach. So that's why, to me, it's like, at the end of the game, you really only have one option in your party. Like, Peach kind of has to be there.
0: Yeah, I I would agree. And when I think back to when I originally beat this game as a kid, she was absolutely in my party. Now, back in the day, during the final fight, I was very underleveled. It was to a point where Mario would keep getting knocked out, I would revive him with Peach, heal the party with Peach as I was able to, and Bowser would chip away at the final boss, and then eventually, eventually I was able to come out on top. So I agree, I don't think you can realistically complete this game without Peach. But to answer my own question, my main party of characters tends to be Mario, Peach, and Bowser. But in my replay, I'm going to try Mario, Peach, and Geno, since I'm shaping Geno into a pretty big physical powerhouse. Alright, now before we move on from here and talk about some specific story beats we wanted to cover, we absolutely have to give a shout-out to the game's overall presentation, specifically the sound design, the graphics, and the soundtrack. When I was making our show notes, you made it a point to ensure that we had a section about the presentation, so I'll let you lead off here. What's on your mind regarding Super Mario RPG's presentation?
1: Yeah, I just I just want to take a minute to talk about this, because with the graphics, I think that they hold up today. Going back and replaying this on my... I think it's a 45-inch TV, and I'm playing it on the virtual console. Yeah, when it's, th- when it's stretched out that much, you can see the individual sprites. And it wasn't meant for that, so I'm not going to hold that against them. If you see this on a smaller screen, it looks beautiful. And it seriously aged better, and I know you're a huge PlayStation 1 fan, but it aged better graphically than any PlayStation 1 game and probably just about any N64 game, in my opinion. How dare you insult my polygons, sir? <laughs> Sprites just, they, they
0: last better. No, I do agree with you on this, all jokes aside. I ended up replaying this game on my Super Nintendo Classic, and I'm using an HDMI output to, ai uh, I don't know how big this TV is over here, but it's about 40 inches if I had to guess. Just like you said, stretched out on a TV that wasn't the little guys that we grew up with, and you'll start to see the cracks and the imperfections. But even like that, the game still looks good. Which is another reason I'm excited for the remake slash remaster, because I'm very excited to see how wonderful this new iteration is going to look. Even if all Nintendo was going to do with this new version was clean up the graphics just a little bit and not add anything extra to the experience, no new abilities or new music or anything, it would still be a day one purchase for me.
1: Yeah, and talking about music, the, the music and, the, and sound in general, I'm going to kind of talk about these together. I was so impressed by the fact that going back and replaying this game, I did not feel the need to have any other kind of media on. A lot of times when I play older games, I'll be listening to like a podcast or something. You know, a great one I've heard about is called Retro Wildlands. You should look it up sometime. Oh, yeah, I heard they're pretty (laughs) (laughs) so-so. But no offense to the Retro Wildlands, but I, I didn't want to listen to anything else while I was playing this because the music was awesome. The sound design was fantastic. It's incredible to me that the the composer for this, I mean, a lot of people talk about Final Fantasy VI and the music in that game and the sound. I think Super Mario RPG is every bit as good as Final Fantasy VI from a 16-bit game standpoint. 100% agree with everything you just said.
0: Now, I didn't know this as a kid, but I found out later that the music composer for Super Mario RPG is none other than the legendary Yoko Shimomura, who's done music for games like Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy XV, and Parasite Eve. And knowing that she was the one to compose the music for this game helped me understand why this soundtrack really knocked it out of the park. Replaying this game as an adult, the music really stuck with me this time around because I really noticed how it found a way to be Mario-esque, like we're used to hearing. I'm talking about the, the wonderful whimsical tones, but at the same time, it sounds like a square RPG, for lack of better terminology. The music found a way to balance both these worlds, and I think that is incredible. The sound effects themselves actually sound really good on the system, too. You have your standard Mario sounds, but I loved some of the finer details. Like you mentioned earlier, Peach's Warfan, for instance. That sound it makes when it hits an enemy is just so crisp and weighty. So all that told, the music and the sound design are perfect in my eyes. The developers really knew how to squeeze every ounce of performance out of the Super Nintendo, and it is very obvious to see and hear. Alright, so with all that said, we're going to move on and talk about the game's campaign. Now, we're not going to hit on every single story beat here, but Nick, I know there are certain things about the story that you wanted to touch on that really stood out to you, so in this section, I want to turn the microphone over to you and let you run with your thoughts here. I'll jump in where it makes sense, but it's all
1: you, buddy. Where do we want to go from here? So, yeah, there's just a couple of things that we haven't discussed, like Mulville, And one of the most unique boss encounters happens in the mines in Mulville with Punchinello? Sounds about right. We'll we'll go with that. (laughs) Uh, This, I actually had forgotten about this boss fight when I went and replayed it. And I kept running up to him because he's blocking a doorway that you need to get through in the mines And I kept running up to him, and he just pushes you back. And I'm thinking, well, how am I supposed to fight? Like, how do I get around him? The game doesn't give you any hints at all. You can't approach him from the front, you have to go in from the side, and that's the only way that you can activate this boss battle. Now, the boss battle itself, there's nothing too great about it. I just thought it was interesting how you had to initiate that fight. And that's just something that, like, a lot of games don't really. You don't see that level of detail, and I just, I thought that that was really cool.
0: Yeah, it was a nice way that the game pulls you further into the experience. You can find yourself stuck doing the same thing over and over again, and this was a cool way that the game changes things up and re-engages you by having you think about what it is that you're
1: actually doing. So after you defeat Punchinello, you come across my favorite minigame in the entire Super Mario RPG experience. It is the classic minecart ride. And I don't know if this is technically an Easter egg, but it did, especially the side scrolling portion of this, really reminded me of the minecart levels from Donkey Kong Country.
0: Yeah, now that you say that, I was thinking the same thing. And instead of getting
1: bananas, you're getting coins. Yeah, yeah. But before you get to the side scrolling portion, there's actually a 3D area that makes star fox look like just a bunch of polygons floating around so the 3d portion of this segment is very reminiscent of like the original super mario kart and it is so much fun and for the longest time including my most recent playthrough i forgot that you can slow down so even my most recent playthrough as a veteran of super mario rpg my cart is constantly flying off the tracks because I'm just trying to go as fast as possible, get all the coins that I can. And there's one hairpin turn that if you don't slow down, you have to almost come to a screeching halt to be able to make this hairpin turn. And it's just, I, I just love that. I really wanted to touch on that segment of the game. It's such a fun and totally different type of minigame than the rest of the experience has to offer. Absolutely. It was really fun. And I got to play a bit of that last night.
0: Oh, and that graphical trick, for those of you screaming it at your car speakers right now, is called Mode 7. Now, I may or may not be reading this verbatim off the internet, but Mode 7 is a graphical mode that will allow the background layers to be rotated and scaled on a scan line by scan line basis to create different depth effects, and that's what's going on here. Like you mentioned, this is going on in Super Mario Kart, for instance, but it's also going on in Pilot Wings, which is one example, and then another example is F-Zero, so yeah, the more you know. But I'm with you, that kart ride was a fantastic time, and even though there was a tutorial that told you how to brake, I never did, and I couldn't figure out why I was flying off the tracks but I loved that you felt incentivized to go back and get faster times. Good RPGs are known for their mini-games, and while this one was probably a lot simpler than most, that's what made it enjoyable, so good pull on this
1: one. So the next thing that I wanted to touch on that we haven't really talked about is Booster's Tower. Now, Booster is this eccentric king, and of what? I'm not entirely sure. He's just kind of, he has this tower, and he's in charge of it, and he's the eighth one in the line, and he's trying to marry Peach. Well, Bowser and Mario both meet up outside of Booster's Tower, because they're both trying to rescue Peach from Booster.
0: Yeah, Booster's Tower is one of my personal favorite places in the entire game, and it's here that Bowser reluctantly joins your party, too.
1: And then there's there's one segment where Mario can go behind this curtain, and when you come out the other side of the curtain, it's the greatest Easter egg, I think, in the entire game. Frank, I know this is your favorite part, so I want you to talk about it. This was an awesome reveal.
0: Yeah, I had no idea this was even in the game at all, so I must have missed this as a kid. But there's a point in Booster's Tower where you come across these two curtains that are in a corner of a room. I assumed there would be a hidden item or something behind them, but when I got back behind the curtains, and then I came out again, I was staring at the original powered-up sprite that's in the original Super Mario Bros. on the Nintendo. It even had the original music playing here, too. I was like, what is this? Actually, I don't care, because this is an amazing throwback. All in all, it was a very cool addition to this game.
1: The next thing I want to talk about from the campaign is the sunken chip. I know we already touched on this a little bit, but I want to dive a little deeper into the gameplay from this section. You have to find six different clues to try to figure out what the password is to get through the doorway to get to Jonathan Jones. Yeah, I definitely have thoughts on this section. I do
0: too. I'll give you my surface-level thoughts, and I'll let you fill in any gaps that you want here. So, overall, I like the sunken ship. There's something about the quote-unquote sunken ship in some video games that's just very alluring to me. Most of the time, you're finding buried treasure and loot, other times it's a pirate theme, but for me, the sunken ship in Super Mario RPG, I felt overstayed its welcome and there was a point where I was pretty ready to be done with it. Now, I didn't really feel this way with the other locations in this game. Generally, by the time I started getting bored of a location or sick of battling the enemies within a location, I was near the exit or I had accomplished what I needed to do there. With the sunken ship, not so much. There was a point in this area that you come across what I'll call a mini-boss. I... I can't remember what the hell it was offhand. Maybe you remember.
1: Yeah, it's the octopus. So there's tentacles coming out of, there's there's hatches in the ship, and there's tentacles coming out of the hatches, and you have to fight the tentacles. And that's, that's the mid-dungeon boss.
0: That's what I'm thinking of. Thank you. Now, I thought it was a great fight, all things considered, and it had sort of a finality to it but when you defeat it, you still have a large chunk of the area you need to explore. To get through the sunken ship, your main objective is to figure out the correct password needed to enter into this device, and while I certainly appreciate the idea of going around the ship and looking for clues, and how fun it probably was putting it together as a kid, I did not have the patience for this today, and I was pretty over the ship at this point. Honestly,
1: I may have gone right to the internet to figure this one out, not gonna lie. So, I actually was lucky enough to remember what the password was, but on this most recent playthrough, I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get all six hints. I got to, right? After about 20 minutes inside the box maze, I was like, well, I'm not figuring out that hint. Then after about 15 minutes of trying to line up the, there's like these little springboards and you have to line up three of them so that a cannonball will drop out and bounce on all three to then hit the chest to give you the clue. After about 15 minutes of that, I'm like, I'm not getting this clue. <laughs> all the while, I, I am 90% sure I remember what the password is and I'm not going to spoil it here just because I want you to have to go through this, or break down and go game FAQs for the answer. I don't know, I
0: personally didn't mind the puzzles that you had to solve to get the clues. Fuck the 3D box maze, that one sucked, but I kind of liked lining up the pads for the cannonball to bounce on, and some of the other ones weren't too bad. They all weren't easy, but it was inventive and definitely a Mario-esque set of puzzles. Now, taking all the clues, putting them together, and figuring out the password? Yeah, no thanks. I'm not nearly as smart as I used to be.
1: Alright, so the next thing I wanted to touch on is Bowser's Keep. So, we're, we're skipping a lot of stuff, but we've already touched on a lot of these things earlier. Bowser's Keep is, you're getting into the endgame here. So, obviously, you heard my frustration with the six clues for the sunken ship. Bowser's Keep has six doorways, and two of them are puzzle doors, two of them are platforming doors, and two of them are battle doors. I love this section because you only need to go through four doors, which means you can do the two quiz-based or puzzle-based doors. And you can do the two action, you know, doors. You don't have to do any platforming if you don't want to, as long as you can figure out the puzzles. So I went through door one, which was a puzzle door. And the reward for figuring out these puzzles was, was awesome. That's the other thing. When you get to the end, there's a treasure chest and that treasure chest holds some type of weapon that is like essentially the ultimate weapon for that character in the game, which is very cool. This is where you get the Bowser, I think it's the spike glove, and you get Peach's slap glove, which is awesome because her animation for this is she slaps Once, and then a backhand, and then if you hit it just right, her hand actually gets bigger, and then one last flack across the face, and it actually deals quite a bit of damage. Oh yeah, I definitely remember that thing. It's called the super slap. Definitely
0: one of my favorites. It was fun just slapping creatures around with it.
1: The final boss in Bowser's keep is Xor, which EXOR is the sword from the very beginning of the game that comes crashing through his keep, and basically unhouses Bowser and his team of Koopa Troopas fighting Exor nothing really crazy to talk about there but at the end you're all standing there and a gate opens and you go through this gate to get to the final boss when you go through the gate you come to an area that kind of feels it's it's sad, it's gloomy, everything is grayed out. And you see these conveyor belts. And coming off these conveyor belts are enemies that you fought throughout the game. You have different even bosses like Mac from the Mushroom Kingdom. There's multiple Macs coming off these conveyor belts. This is the area in the game where you can really grind and level up quickly. Cause Mac now with how leveled up you are gives you 50 experience points and it only takes I want to say two or three rounds to defeat him then you get to the factory and in the factory you have your final fight with Smithy at the beginning of the game you think Xor is the ultimate bad guy well in typical Squaresoft fashion you beat Xor, but he that's not the end of the game no it's Smithy who is a blacksmith who's creating all these bosses that you're seeing coming off the conveyor belt. Everybody that you've fought outside of like Goombas and, you know, your typical Mario enemies have been created in this factory by Smithy the Blacksmith. And let me tell you, this fight was tough. When I was talking earlier about having to have Peach in my party for this fight, you have to make sure that you're not only fighting Smithy, but there's a a thing on the wall that keeps spitting out this goop and every time it spits out goop smithy will hammer it into an enemy that then is part of the battle and these enemies they could be like a shy guy or something like that but they don't have the hp of your typical shy guy these guys now have like 1000 hp and they're dealing out some serious damage so It's Mario attack, Bowser attack, Peach, heal everybody. Rinse, repeat, reuse. Then you finally defeat Smithy. Oh, now the game's over. Well, Frank, what do we know about Squaresoft?
0: (laughs) It is not over until they say it's over and the final boss undergoes a transformation.
1: (laughs) Smithy gets angry, hammers the ground, keeps hammering it. All his monster minions are running up to him and they're saying, Smithy, no, you have to stop. You're, you're going to break the ground. And sure enough, he's, he continues to hammer the ground. The ground falls out. Your party falls down into the abyss with Smithy. And then Smithy reveals his true form. So just like with every Squaresoft game I can think of, there's always a true form. And this form is intense his head will continually shapeshift. he will be a tank one minute where he's just dealing out massive damage. He'll turn into a wizard where he can attack your entire party. And if you're not constantly healing, you're, you're going to die. That's why I'm saying like mushrooms and pick-me-ups. Well, pick-me-ups can come in handy if peach dies, but otherwise you're completely ignoring your inventory as except for the potential use for a maple syrup to replenish peach's, Flower points. This fight completely changed from every other boss fight leading up to this. This is where the difficulty really ramps up. And even with my party at level 26, this final boss fight still took about 30 minutes to really complete. And with that, I want to talk about some pop culture references.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is the best
1: worst segue
0: ever. This... Amazing final boss fight with Smithy, complete with a higher difficulty and more strategy and is just the biggest Squaresoft-style battle in this entire game. We're going to leave that hanging and talk about some pop culture references. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. But before we move into that, Nick, I did want to mirror a little bit about what you've brought to the table here. Thinking back to when I played this game as a kid, I still have no idea how I beat this game. I think I was several levels below where you were, and listening to you describe this battle, I have no idea how I managed. I beat this game, I swear to you, though. I believe you. When I think back to it, I remember the final battle taking forever for me. I think I actually spent over an hour fighting Smithy.
1: I could totally believe that. If you're not leveled up, if, if you were going in at, like, level 23, 24... Yeah, I could easily see it taking an hour.
0: It was really intense, but it was definitely long and drawn out from what I remember, but all told, I really did enjoy it. I really liked the music that was playing during this fight, too. It was pretty epic. I know we're poking jabs at Squaresoft a bit here since they like doing the whole this isn't even my final form approach with their main bad guys, but Squaresoft games really knew how to put together an epic final showdown. More than that, though, it's the little things along the way that really added up to an amazing experience. When the final battle was over for me and I had a chance to really think about the journey, I actually think it was a lot of the little things that came together and helped shape the experience for me. Specifically, the cameos and pop culture references that you brought up. So, let's segue into that. What sort of callouts did you want to mention?
1: So, uh, I'm just going to run through these and then we can, we can talk about the ones that you're most interested in, but we have Link sleeping in a bed. We have Donkey Kong appearing as an enemy. We have Samus from Metroid sleeping in a bed, dreaming about Mother Brain. We have the F-Zero racer. We have the R wing from Star Fox. Personal favorite of mine. And one that I'm not 100% sure of, but there's a knight that you fight in the factory that really looks familiar. He kind of looks like Shovel Knight. Maybe Shovel Knight. Maybe they're actually taking it from Super Mario RPG. I don't know. I think I've seen him before, um, but that's a possible reference.
0: I think you're 100% spot on with that one, man. While you were talking, I looked that Knight up online, and he absolutely looks like Shovel Knight, so it is very possible you just stumbled on Shovel Knight's origins. But all that said, they might not sound groundbreaking or super unique on the surface, but I liked seeing these cameos from other Nintendo properties sprinkled in here and there. Growing up, I personally missed out on a lot of Nintendo properties. I didn't really play Metroid, I missed out on F-Zero, But I did play a decent amount of Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, and I played a ton of Star Fox. So seeing those things in Super Mario RPG really made me want to go back and check out some of my old favorites, and it made me hungry for something new. So all in all, I love the little cameos, so I'm glad you wanted to talk about them. So that said, what's left that we need to talk about? So... I want to talk about the end of the game. All right, Wildlanders, listen up. So we've talked about a lot of stuff today, but if you've never played this game before and you don't want the very end spoiled for you, I just wanted to give you a courtesy heads up and allow you to skip ahead a little bit in the show. It's not an earth-shattering ending or anything. It is a Mario game after all, but I wanted to extend the option for you to skip it if you so chose. I'll put some timestamps in the show notes if I remember so you know exactly where you need to pick back up. So just to break that up, let's take a quick musical break and then Nick and I are going to talk about the very end of Super Mario RPG. Okay, let's take this episode across the finish line.
1: Nick, how does Super Mario RPG end? So you defeat Smithy after a long and arduous battle, and the sword, Exor, the sword that crashed into Bowser's Keep, dissipates. And then we see Geno. So if you recall, Geno was a spirit from Star Road, that was inhabiting a doll. Well, the doll just kind of goes limp. And then you see this little star come out of his head and it touches each one of the party members it, and they all kind of look up and then it goes off into the distance and it returns to star road. And and Gino is now just a doll. It's kind of, it's very bittersweet because this character that we got to know and we essentially personified him through a doll and now he just returns to being a doll, and it's it, it's bittersweet. We also have Jonathan Jones, one of, I think, both of our favorite bosses from the entire game. Absolutely, He's just looking, he's standing on a cliff edge, and he's just looking out over the sea at a sunset, and it's just beautiful. And his cape is kind of flapping in the wind, it just looks very regal, and you can tell that he's he's standing there thinking... Man, that son of a bitch Mario, gotta love him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: I love that scene. No words spoken, but you'd kinda know what he's thinking there. I always have a soft spot for those antagonists that might be bad on the outside, but they come with their own personal code of honor. Stuff like that even resonated with me as a kid. I knew Jonathan Jones wasn't the most upstanding citizen in the Mushroom Kingdom, but his interactions with Mario and me as the player left an impression. Jones wasn't really a bad guy,
1: just a guy who did things his way. The next thing that we get, we see Bowser and his loyal band of Koopas all repairing Bowser's keep they're putting boards up over the windows and things, and they're building bridges again, and it's, it's just it's awesome to see that. Bowser's even, like, hammering a nail, so he's even helping out with the reconstruction. It almost
0: makes me feel bad that once this game is over and I'm on to my next Mario adventure, I'm going to have to go back to thwomping on some Goombas and Koopas, and after the adventure I just had, you almost start to think that Bowser and Mario can almost coexist in the Mushroom Kingdom. They did battle together, and it might not have been for the same reasons, really, but many a bond was forged in the fires of battle, and I find it hard thinking things will have to go back to normal after this.
1: Yeah, and, and the last thing from the ending that I really wanted to touch upon is Valentina, the evil witch woman from Nimbus Land who had Mallow's parents locked up and was controlling all these cloud people. Her and Booster are getting married. What a fitting end to those two idiots. (laughs) I do remember that, and you're right. Fitting is the
0: right word when it comes to those idiots. (laughs) Uh, So anything else around the ending before we start to wrap things
1: up? No, that's, that's all I had. I just, I thought the, my personal favorite part of the ending was Valentina and Booster getting married by Dodo. It just, (laughs) I thought that was so funny.
0: (laughs) Ah, that is awesome. Two idiots being married by an idiot bird. Gotta love it. (laughs) So... Now that we've been through this game and explored the story, the presentation, the gameplay, the battle system, some mini-games, and a few things in between, I think it's time we give this thing an overall rating. Now, we're getting the remake slash remaster in a couple more weeks, and I think I could speak for you by saying, we're pretty damn excited. I think this is gonna be awesome. For sure. But thinking back to the original... Let's give it a rating, and I think we should do it in two ways. I'd like to rate it as it was back when we played it in 1996, and then rate it when we played it again today. Now, for me, if I had to rate this game back in 1996, it would be a 10 out of 10 game, no discussion. This game was a blast to play, it had a fun and engaging story, the graphics were fantastic for the time, and I could not get enough of this experience. There was very little that this game did wrong back then, and with all the time in the world to play it, it just screamed Masterpiece to me back when I was a kid. So, 10 out of 10 for me back in 96. What about you? How would you rate this game if it were 1996?
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. It is a 10 out of 10 in the lens of the 90s um i say the 90s because i don't want to just contain it to 1996 i think for that decade it's a 10 out of 10 game yeah i'm right there with you 10 out of 10 it is
0: so now let's give it a rating as it sits today now i'm playing a lot more retro games than i ever have before and that of course is due to the podcast I can be pretty critical of older games because I'm trying to review them for the show, but more than that, I am almost 40 years old. I'm working a job where I can easily put in 9 or 10 hour days, and my time is valuable because I don't have a ton of it. I have a lot less patience for things in video games that waste my time or don't add value to the time that I'm spending. So that being said, Super Mario RPG is not a 10 out of 10 game today. I would give it a solid 8 out of 10, which is still pretty, well, solid. Now, what's taking the score down a bit for me are things like the platforming, for instance. Like you said, it is not good. Yep. It's possible the remake remaster will fine-tune some things, but all in all, It can be cumbersome and can break up the game's pacing in a bad way in some areas. And while these next things are probably more nitpicky things just because I'm probably conditioned a certain way, I was very put off by the extremely limited inventory and the limit I had on coins. And more than that, while a level 30 cap wasn't the worst thing ever, I would have loved to have been able to level myself up higher if I so chose. Still, I think an 8 out of 10 makes sense from my perspective. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, once again, I'm right there with you. I think this is an 8 out of 10 game, and that is putting it up against current day games. This is, I'm putting this up against God of War Ragnarok. I'm putting it up against The Last of Us. I, as a whole, this is still an 8 out of 10 game, and I think that that really speaks to the longevity of it. The writing, the graphics hold up, the sound and music are better than a lot of other games that have come out since then. And even some games that are coming out current day, it really does a great job of telling a story. And even though I know a lot of people, including you, hate Mallow, I hate him for being in my party, but his storyline was just it was very fleshed out. It was it was very touching. And I I think that it probably has the best storyline of any Mario game that's ever come out just as a whole, like not just Mallows, but the, the whole storyline I think is the best and most fleshed out from any Mario game. It's the best of all the subsequent Mario RPG games that came out like Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi. And I, yeah, it's, it's an eight out of 10 by today's standards up against other games that are coming out right now. Hell yeah. I think it goes without saying, if you, listening
0: right now, haven't had a chance to play Super Mario RPG, definitely find a way to play this game and experience it for yourself. And if you want to wait and grab the remake slash remaster that's just around the corner, I think that's a good move as well because I'm very confident that the new version of this game will capture what makes the original such a fun experience. And speaking of the new game... I think that's a great segue to talk about one final short topic that I thought would be fun to touch on today before we end the show, which is the remake slash remaster itself. So as we record these words, we're just under a month or so away, couple weeks, whenever this episode airs, for the new game to come to the Nintendo Switch. This new version of the game is going to have updated graphics and some added gameplay features. Now, the last big question I want to pose is why do people like Super Mario RPG so much and what is it that people, ourselves included, are hoping the remake slash remaster brings to the table? What do you think, man?
1: I am most excited about this remake remaster for the accessibility to the game it's going to give to a new generation because kids aren't going to seek out the original Super Mario RPG. They just aren't. They're going to play whatever's on the Nintendo eShop or whatever, whatever's up there. And if it looks cool, and I'm I'm speaking for like younger kids, older kids and, and young adults, they might seek out the original copy, but this is going to make this game accessible to young kids and really hopefully, introduce them to a genre that they might not otherwise get introduced to this if it's anything like the impact it had on me growing up is it's gonna breed a whole new generation of rpg fans and i couldn't think of anything better than that absolutely spot on i don't even think i can really add to that because
0: that's a lot of what i was thinking as well Listening to you talk this out, it made me think about how Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII was re-released on modern consoles. That game is one of my favorites, and it was originally locked onto one console, the PlayStation Portable, the PSP. When I learned of the remaster for that game, my first thought was not that I'll get to play it with updated graphics and all of that, I was most excited that other people would get a chance to experience this game and hopefully fall in love with it like I did. Now, I know a game like that probably didn't spawn a new generation of RPG gamers, but the idea that things that were once locked away or only available in a limited capacity can now become more available and even be improved upon for future generations is now a real thing, I cannot help but be most excited for that. I want everyone to experience the things that I love, and I think we all feel that way. Now, with the new Super Mario RPG, they are talking about introducing some new features (sighs) that are not in the original. Now, I'm personally on the fence with what I've heard so far, and judging by your grunt, I assume you share my concerns. So, what do you think about Nintendo adding new features to Super Mario RPG? I fucking hate it, ho, oh, well, I knew you weren't super excited for some things, but wow, so what do you quote unquote fucking hate about the new editions?
1: Let's not put the Mario and Luigi and Paper Mario stink, and i I like those games, but. They, they made it way too easy. Like Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi are two series of games that are, they're fun. They're shut your brain off. They're not very challenging. I have most recently been playing Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. And this is shortly after playing Mario and Luigi Dream Team. And after beating Mario and Luigi Dream Team, it's like a 40-hour storyline i went and i started playing bowser's inside story it's kind of more of the same and it's not challenging at all and i just got bored with it i haven't picked it back up since and this new mechanic that they're putting in to super mario rpg where there's a meter and as you're dishing out attacks the meter slowly fills up or maybe it's fast i don't know depending on how easy they want to make it once this meter fills up Then you can unleash a physical attack, not a magic attack, but a physical attack that is an area of effect attack. And I don't know, it doesn't appear like it's going to use any flower points or anything like that. So this, to me, looks like it could be game breaking. And that makes me super nervous. I I kind of hope that they have a setting where it says you want to play modern mode or classic mode. I'll take classic mode. I don't want that meter. I It's when you get to the end of the game, it's it definitely ramps up in difficulty, but it's still not as hard as like Final Fantasy 7 or anything. I don't want to get to the final boss fight and just be able to spam this AOE attack. Like I, it just it makes me really nervous. And then that makes me think that there's some other changes that they're going to make. They're going to leave the platforming in. Hopefully they improve it. But now they're, they're going to implement this quality of life improvement. No, there's other areas that you can do quality of life improvements. Don't make the combat easier than it already was. I'm with
0: you. I share some of the same concerns. Now, my thought is, if Nintendo wants to do this and introduce these new abilities and mechanics that are going to make an already somewhat easy experience even easier, fine. Fine. But they need to build in toggles and levers to give players control over the type of experience that they want to have, or at least that's how I see it. Or the entire experience needs to be rebalanced to take into account all these new additions. But I like your thoughts on a modern and a classic mode. That'll make things perfect and give players a way to tailor the experience to them. Now, on one hand, I don't think I would really mind the option to make the game easier. Like I said before, most of my time is working my adult job. I mean, you and I work for the same company. There's not a lot of free time to throw around right now. So the idea of making an experience easier without sacrificing fun factor sounds appealing. But on the other hand, human beings, whether they admit it or not, like to and need to be challenged. Right. So at the end of the day, I'm excited for what's coming, but like I said, I do share your concerns here. If this experience is too easy and you're not giving players the option to increase the difficulty, players are going to get bored and they're going to move on to something else. It's just how it works most of the time. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. Now, the other thing I heard that they're going to be adding is something called post-boss rematches. Now, I don't know if it's going to be like a boss rush mode where you tackle bosses from the campaign one after the other, or when you play through the game, the bosses are varied in some way. I don't know. I don't really care for bosses in video games all that much by default. I can take them or leave them. So, I don't think I have much of an opinion here. What are your thoughts on this one?
1: Uh, It's already in Super Mario RPG. It's the conveyor belts right before you get to the final boss. Oh, the part I didn't get
0: to because I ran out of time. Got it. (laughs) Nah, it's a good point. But as far as the super mega kill everything meter and the boss rush mode goes, that's really the only new additions I think I'm aware of at the time that we're recording this. Is there anything that we're missing that you can remember?
1: Yeah, they've been... Pretty tight-lipped about this project.
0: Yeah, and I'm pretty okay with that. As excited as I am for this remake slash remaster, I've been consciously avoiding trailers and showcases just because I want to go in blind and experience it like I did when I was a kid. And if all they did was just release this new game with updated graphics and that was it, I would be completely fine with that. Oh, 100%. I'm trying not to get my hopes up, but some things I'd like to see are some more cameos and callouts to other games, I'd love for them to drop in some quality-of-life improvements like an expanded inventory, ability to hold more money, and hell, maybe even give us the option to have prompts on the screen that will allow us to time our button presses more precisely for extra damage or defense. Keyword there, though, is option. Regardless, though, nothing more is required of this game, and the original is fine as is, so anything new they add should, in theory, enhance the experience. I hardly ever pre-order games, and I've already got this one pre-ordered, so it is a day one purchase for me. I cannot wait for this game, it is going to be fantastic. I agree. And with that final thought, we have come to the end of our Super Mario RPG journey. Nick, I want to thank you again, man, for taking time out of your day to come over to the house and nerd out with me for a little bit. I really do appreciate you being here.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, Like I said, this this is the one game that I'm truly passionate about. There's been so many great games that have come out since I've played this, but this one will always have a special place in my heart.
0: it my friends. This has been episode 46 of the Retro Wildlands, Super Mario RPG for the Super Nintendo. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today, and a huge thank you to my buddy Nick for taking time out of his day to hang out with me and talk video games. Super Mario RPG may not be a perfect game nowadays, but I can't help but look back on it fondly. I can always count on it to give me a pretty solid experience, and diving into its world will never not be fun for me. Sometimes when I'm hungry, I'm not looking for the finest steak or the dish with the most exotic ingredients. Sometimes, I just want a simple cheeseburger with ketchup and mustard, and Super Mario RPG is the cheeseburger for me. If you like the show and want to show it and myself some support, please consider subscribing to it on your preferred podcasting platform. For the time being, I do not have a dedicated release schedule for new episodes, and I'm making them as my busy schedule allows. Subscribing to the Retro Wildlands will make sure that you're notified anytime time new content drops, and I have to imagine subscribing helps the show in the background somehow, so I would appreciate the support in that way. Now if you really like the show, which I assume you did since you're still listening this far in, please consider leaving a good review on your podcasting platform if you're able to do so. I'm just a 39-year-old guy who loves video games and making podcasts, and I do all of these episodes by myself, so if you could, leave me a good review, will ya? Not only will it help circulate the show to new listeners, it'll just make me feel good. But only leave me a good review if you think I've earned it, or if you have the time to spare beyond listening to the show. Seriously, just you listening to the show today is much more than I could ask for, so any amount of support that you can spare is greatly appreciated. So, what's coming up next? After two fairly big games in a row for the podcast, I am looking for something that is not too involved to cleanse the palate a little bit. I keep going back and forth on whether or not I want to dive back into the original Nintendo, or if I want to go back and check out the Sega Genesis. I've been playing with a few games on either system, and I think I'm just going to see what games stick that I want to do a podcast on. Is there an NES or Genesis game that you would like me to cover on the show? Reach out to me on social media and let me know. Otherwise, I'm going to let Dee, Dee, our canine expedition leader, take us in whatever direction that he wants. It is his expedition, you know, and we're just along for the ride. And speaking of, I would be absolutely honored if you joined up with us again down the road. We have many more miles of gaming ground to explore, and I would love to have you with us on the journey. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me… Roaming the Retro Wildlands.